visitors. Okay, members, you're very welcome to this meeting of the Education Committee. Can I ask Assembly Broadcasting to add all members into the spotlight for the next four items? Clark, are we okay to proceed with this business in, ad in advance of the briefing? Yeah, that's great. Okay, uh, can I ask members if they're aware of any apologies? Robin Newton. Thank you. Okay, members, in terms of chairperson's business, um, I would advise members that the devolved government in Wales has decided to cancel all GCSE, AS and A-level end-of-year examinations in 2021 owing to varying levels of interruption and disruption to education in that jurisdiction. It appears that end-of-year exams will be replaced by controlled class assessment tasks set by the examining body, which will be marked externally. Can I seek members' agreement to write to the Department of Education and SEA, again seeking clarity on contingency arrangements for GCSEs, AS and A-level examinations in Northern Ireland for 2021, including the use of moderated controlled assessments and an update on discussions with examination regulatory bodies across the UK? Agreed? Agreed. Okay, members, can I also advise that the Department of Education has provided the committee with a copy of the draft terms of reference for the New Decade New Approach Independent Review of Education. In response to the committee's request, the Department has asked for the committee's views on the draft terms of reference for the review. Can I seek members' agreement that we consider the draft terms of reference and agree a committee position uh, at next week's meeting? Agreed? Agreed. Thank you. Can I also remind members then that in order to inform scrutiny of the special school area planning process, seven members of the committee met informally with Belfast Special School principals on Tuesday, the 3rd of November 2020. A note of the informal meeting has been circulated, including potential concerns about which members may wish to put questions to the Education Authority and Department later today. Can I seek members' agreement to invite special schools representatives to brief the committee in formal session at the end of the special school area planning consultation on the 13th of January 21, and in order to inform the committee's considered response? Agreed? Great. Great. Thank you. Okay, members, can I advise that in the Department's annual report and accounts for 2019-20, reference was made to the General Teaching Council of Northern Ireland being put into special measures. The annual report seemed to imply that GTCNI may not be able to deregister teachers where there has been serious misconduct and thus prevent them from teaching in schools. This, if true, is obviously concerning. And can I seek members' agreement to write to the Department of Education seeking clarity on the use of special measures at the General Teaching Council and in respect of the position relating to deregistration of teachers? Agreed? Agreed. Agreed. Okay, members, can I also advise that the committee was previously given to understand that some educational psychology assessments were continuing despite COVID-19 restrictions and that workarounds were being employed. However, in Assembly written questions, it has been indicated that 699 psychological assessments by educational psychologists have been paused, and 1,842 children are awaiting assessment. The number of paused assessment and the length of that waiting list are, if accurate, obviously very concerning. And can I seek members' agreement to write to the Education Authority seeking clarity 
on the educational psychology assessments and confirmation on the number of assessments that have actually been completed since lockdown began in March 2020. Agreed? Thank you. Can I refer members to draft minutes of the committee meeting of 4th of November 2020 at page 6 of their meeting packs and seek members' agreement that the minutes are a complete and accurate record of proceedings? Agreed? Agreed. Thank you. I advise members that there are no matters arising. Members content to proceed? Content. Okay. Thank you. Then agenda item five members is our forward work programme. Can I remind members that they received some evidence in October from the National Autistic Society, Evangelical Alliance, Children's Law Centre on the impact of the suspension of SEND services on parents and children. The committee has also received a number of reports and surveys on this important matter. Can I refer members to a cover note from the committee clerk at page 15 in respect of a proposed committee stakeholder event on the impact of lockdown on the provision of SEND services. A draft invitation is also included and suggest to members that this event, along with next week's briefing on the cross-sectoral COVID support package for vulnerable children, might inform our understanding of these matters and lead to a related committee motion. Can I seek members' agreement to organise a, a stakeholder event on Thursday, the 3rd of December 2020 at 6.8pm via Zoom and invite the organisations named in the covering note, open to other um, suggestions of organisations as well. Members agreed? Agreed. Suggestions now? Looking forward to, to the, the clerk. clerk, yeah. Forward to clerk. Okay. okay, members agreed? Agreed. Thank you. Can I refer members to the draft forward work programme on page 19 and seek members' agreement with the revised forward work programme? Do you need to speak to that in any way, Clark? No? I don't think so. I think we covered a lot of this very quickly last week. So okay. Members content with the forward work programme for now? Agreed? Content. Agreed. Thank you. Okay, members then. Agenda item six. And is the IFA, GAA, Ulster Rugby, Sport and Physical Activity in the Curriculum Oral Briefing? Can I ask Assembly Broadcasting to remove all of the members from the spotlight and add to the witnesses? Um, <coughs> can I refer members to a cover memo from the Committee Clerk at page 24? A briefing note from the IFA and GAA on recent research into the current sports programme and the impact on pupil wellbeing at page 28. An assembly research paper on physical activity and well-being at page 45. A briefing paper from Ulster Rugby in table papers. And can I, for the avoidance of doubt, Clark, uh, it might be best I declare an interest as a registered coach with the IFA, just in case. Purely voluntary, as Michael will know. <laughs> I don't want to wait till the result tomorrow night before they heard that one. Yeah. <laughs> Members can discuss the uh, quality of my coaching or otherwise, but uh, yeah, register that interest just in case, Clark. Uh, and can I welcome uh, uh, the following witnesses? Michael Boyd, the director of the Irish Football Association, Claire Ray, school sports coordinator with the Irish Football Association, Dr. Eugene Young, director of coaching and games development with the Ulster Gaelic Athletic Association. Michael Glover, Key Stage 2 Project Coordinator, Ulster Gaelic Athletic Association, Callum Irving, Researcher, Physical Intelligence, 
Chris Webster, Head of Rugby Development, Ulster Rugby. And by way of welcome, can I say that during lockdown, we have all come to realise even more so the importance of school, not just as a place where formal learning happens, but also as a place where crucial learning <coughs> and support about emotional health and well-being and physical health and well-being also takes place. Physical activity, sport and physical education play a key role in all of this, and the committee is therefore delighted to welcome representatives from the IFA, GAA and Ulster Rugby to talk about these important matters today. Can I advise the witnesses that the committee will give them approximately 15 minutes in total to make an opening statement and to address the above issues, and this will be followed by questions from the members. Um, over to you then, witnesses, and I think we're going with Chris uh, first, then Michael, then Eugene. that okay? Yep. Thank you. Okay. Um, first of all, I'd just like to thank the committee for the opportunity to, to be here today and to speak to you. Um, uh, it's, it's great to have this opportunity to put across our, our thoughts and ideas around the importance of sport within school. Uh, in terms of the, the paper that was submitted in advance of the meeting, um, just given an, an outline in terms of the, the background currently uh, of the work that we as an organisation do within schools, and um, school sport and the delivery of rugby activity within schools is a significant aspect of the work of Ulster Rugby. And this encapsulates the full spectrum of participation from the introduction of the game to someone who has no prior knowledge or experience of rugby through to supporting uh, pupils who have an aspiration to compete at international level or pursue a professional career in the sport. Uh, in terms of, of last year, uh, from September 2019 until the beginning of the current COVID crisis, Ulster Rugby Development staff were engaged in delivering rugby-related programmes within schools, and these pr programmes were delivered both within a primary school and a secondary school setting um, across, the, uh, across the, the, the spectrum of schools that we have. Uh, a total of over 20,000 pupils, um, both male and female, were engaged across primary and secondary settings. So in primary schools, we have 5,500 males, 4,500 females, and within secondary schools, 6,600 males and 3,800 females. Uh, in terms of our engagement with pupils, the majority of our work centred around the delivery of rugby-specific physical activity programmes, however other activities included a focus on areas including mentoring, leadership, school twinning projects and community relations. And this involved a combination of delivering activities within schools and also utilising Kingspan Stadium as a venue. Ulster Rugby also provides support to pupils in school aged between 15 and 18 who are part of our player pathway and have been identified as having potential for future inclusion within the Ulster Academy. Um, Ulster Rugby also provided support directly to schools through the provision of coach education and development opportunities for teachers and coaching staff. And this included working with Stramlis College to provide support and qualifications to primary school teachers and teachers in training. And out of that, we have 56 teachers and school coaching staff who undertook formal rugby coaching qualifications and 166 teachers and school coaching staff who engaged in rugby spe specific <coughs> CPD opportunities throughout the year. In terms of the current challenges within schools from, from an Ulster Rugby perspective, I'd just like to draw the members' attention to the following points. So, financial challenges for schools is first and foremost, and given the financial challenges to schools, many have had to reduce their expenditure on sport and other extracurricular provision. This has had significant implications on the ability of some schools to maintain appropriate levels of equipment, facilities and staffing in order to satisfy <coughs> demand for participation. 
This can lead to increased demands on the governing body to provide additional support. There is also the cost of participation in sport, especially travel to and from fixtures and events, cost of substitute cover for teachers supporting events and increased transport costs means that on occasion schools aren't able to participate in activities which happen away from the school premises. In terms of facilities, there is a requirement for the upgrade of facilities in some schools to improve the quality of experience for participants and thus assess them maintaining high levels of participation. Examples could include improving grass pitches to support volume up activity over the winter, access to 3G and 4G surfaces, provision of floodlights, improved changing facilities and access to appropriate gym strength and conditioning facilities. In terms of coaching, educational evidence strongly suggests that the deployment of appropriately qualified and engaging coaches has a very strong influence on participation and subsequent involvement in the sport. Having the appropriate number of teaching and coaching staff with the ability and experience to deliver age-appropriate rugby game-based physical activities is, providing, is proving challenging in many schools due to increased demands in other areas as an overall reduction in the teaching complement in many schools. Current members of PE staff report difficulties in being able to support the numbers of participants and teams that they would like to run within schools, and this can be a limiting factor in providing opportunities to play for those pupils that want to. A number of participation opportunities that we deliver within schools can only be delivered as a result of funding that is received from other bodies. Currently we receive funding through the Sport Northern Ireland-led Everybody Active 2020 programme, and this programme will come to an end in March 2021 resulting in a number of rugby development staff having contracts terminated. Due to the focus of the programme on improving participation opportunities for underrepresented groups, this loss will particularly impact on levels of participation within disability and female participants. Ulster Rugby is involved in a number of programmes with schools which go way beyond physical activity alone. These programmes are due to end over the course of the next 12 months. Department for Communities will end in March 2021 and our Peace 4 programme in December 2021 and these, both of these programmes which are funded are delivered in partnership with IFA and the, the GAA. Discontinuation of these programmes will result in loss of staff resource to deliver mentoring, wellbeing, youth leadership and schools twinning programmes. Drop-off in participation rates in sport, including rugby from age 16 onwards, is a societal concern. Whilst this is something that we are actively looking at through a transition working group, it does need further intervention to ensure that pupils continue to participate as they transition out of secondary education. And then finally, moving on to the opportunities for sport within schools from an Ulster rugby perspective. So a couple of key points from, 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 from myself. Um, the first is the development of better understanding how we as a governing body, and other governing bodies for that matter, can support the needs of the education sector, especially if there is the opportunity to address common themes which are appropriate across a number of sports. Uh, the opportunity to create a framework that might allow community access to school sports facilities outside of school hours and equally provide school access to club facilities, if appropriate. This would allow us to build on the existing cross-departmental Your School, Your Club programme. Not only could this improve school facilities, but also have the added benefit of shared access for clubs. Opportunities at community level, and equally in small schools, can, at times, be hindered by the lack of access to appropriate facilities. Increasing the awareness of the community, and young people in particular, that there are many different versions of rugby, including contact and non-contact types of game, that will permit participation in formats that participants are comfortable with, and this includes touch rugby, tag rugby, and cross-field sevens. There's also an opportunity to promote non-playing rugby activities, including refereeing and coaching, to pupils as well. <coughs> uh, it is evident that there is potential for continued growth in the number of girls playing rugby in schools, 
We're currently investigating, as part of our Women in Rugby Action Plan, how we can best support girls' rugby by providing teachers and coaches with the skills and confidence to be able to support this growth beyond the provision delivered by Ulster Rugby staff. Educational research strongly indicates that engagement with physical activity supports academic and personal development of young people. By having further opportunity to collaborate with relevant partners in the areas of multi-sport and multi-agency approach across cross-curricular themes, including Chris, physical... Chris, I'm going to need you to bring your remarks to a close. Okay. Thank you. Um, so just the, the opportunity to provide physical literacy, numeracy, mental health and well-being, community relations and peace building, we can use sport as a gateway to help people's participate in topics that they may otherwise choose not to engage with. And I think the final point that I leave on, and I think it leads into to Michael and Eugene, is the opportunity to develop an early years programme targeting key stage one and two pupils, which promotes physical literacy and fundamental movement skills. This will benefit all sports and develop confidence in pupils when it comes to promoting lifelong involvement in sport and physical activity. Thank, Thank you. you, Chris. Thanks very much. Michael? Yes, okay. uh, thanks for the opportunity to speak. Sorry, today. one wee second, Michael. Apologies. Could I ask everyone that isn't speaking to make sure that they've muted their devices to avoid uh, background noise? Hand over to you, Michael. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. I'll briefly describe uh, the partnership and then hand over to Dr Eugene Young. Um, together, the IFA and also GAA have 14 years of partnership working with Denny and schools. The programme receives positive uh, feedback from teachers, from pupils, parents, and in 2014 received the UK Sports Coach Award uh, for Coaching Intervention of the Year. In an exit survey for children in 2018, over 70% reported that the programme made them feel happy. 89% played a, a sport or engaged in physical activity outside of school across a range of 14 different activities. The programme is really working well. The promotion of good relations is central to our partnership. Uh, we delivered a Shared Future, Shared Goals programme with support from the Education Authority to 24 schools, 12 partnerships. Uh, this project was evaluated and it was a huge success. Um, moving forward, we'd like to see that happening again. We make an impact all across Northern Ireland. At our height in the partnership, we reached a third of all the school children, and today around 280 schools. Uh, research highlights the value of the programme. 90% of the teachers are satisfied or very satisfied with what we deliver. The pandemic <coughs> research makes the work even more important. The sports invest in and deliver their own programmes as well, all across the country, engaging the community, schools and clubs, developing sports for all, health and wellbeing. It's important to note each sport has plans and strategies in place for schools, and we also have joint multi-sport programmes, which are worth noting at this point. Department for Communities, Sport, a Home for Lifelong Volunteering is a brilliant multi-sport programme uh, that goes right across Northern Ireland, developing young volunteers who can be embedded in sports clubs and in the community. Peace 4, Sport Uniting Communities, a good relations and capacity building programme has made a dramatic impact uh, in the border counties and in Northern Ireland. We have just initiated a new Fresh Start programme with support from DOJ and Department for Communities, a new multi-sports crime prevention programme which shows the power of the sports coming together as well. We are currently working with other sports and DFC to develop a joint mental health programme uh, via the Coping with Covid programme uh, as well, so lots is happening between the sports and multi-sports are making a difference. Together we make a massive contribution, have massive reach, we deliver a world-class service. We need more support to do more in the schools, we need longer-term funding cycles, our partnership is strong and our coaches are experts in delivering PE and fundamental movement skills in primary schools. This month, on the 4th of November, the Ulster GA and the IFA submitted a three-year funding proposal to the Education Minister. 
We were asking for 2.5 million over the next three years to deliver a world-class primary schools programme. Um, and we would ask the Education Committee to write to the Minister following our presentation today to come in behind us to support our proposal and support all the children in primary school across Northern Ireland. I'll now hand over to Dr Eugene Young to present for both our organisations, the Irish FA Foundation and Ulster GAA. Thank you. Okay, first of all, uh, thanks again for the opportunity uh, to come in to meet the committee. Uh, it's a great opportunity for us. Um, today's session really was to focus on the role of physical activity in sport in schools, and in particular the, the curriculum sports programme, uh, in providing good mental health and emotional well-being. I think from the onset, it's very important to say that we are not the experts in mental health. <coughs> excuse me, and any training or promotions that we do is in partnership with a third party. Uh, but we would say that our staff are all trained up uh, to deliver uh, key aspects of this. What we do believe in is the power of sport and physical activity in developing social and interpersonal skills, teamwork, respect, self-esteem and communication and life skills. We do believe that our work impacts not only on the physical well-being of individuals, but also on the social and psychological factors that contribute to both positive physical and emotional wellness. I suppose the challenge we have in all programmes is to measure impact. Uh, we are not an academic organisation, but we do recognise the importance of measuring wellness and charting emotional and behavioural impact of programmes. This is something that presents a challenge and requires the external support. When we set out on this journey in 2007, we did not think that in 2020 we would still be working in partnership with the Department. I think this shows the commitment of everyone to what we see as a very important area of work. When it comes to mental health, we have always partnered with a third party. Uh, this has allowed us to develop the coaches' knowledge and experience. Uh, all of our coaches are fully conversant with the benefits of physical activity, what their role is, and the age-appropriate activities that they can use. Sport also allows us to take messages we learn and bring them back into the classroom. Engagement and delivery of messages is something that we work at consistently across the association. A good example of this is the concussion awareness programme launched by the department, and we contributed. Uh, by working with the Department to deliver this key message both into our schools and into our communities. Key to our progress and the success of this partnership has been our ability to work together and use research and insights to inform our way forward. One of the first independent reports uh, produced on our joint programme was by the Education and Training Inspectorate in 2010. It highlighted the high level of engagement by the children and the excellent use of the programme to build teacher confidence. It reflected on the programme's ability to be inclusive and to build relationships. From then, the IFN Ulster GA have been involved in their own internal research and insights. Uh, many of the insights into our programme can be found in our annual reports returned to the Department. From the onset in 2008, we were carrying out impact studies pre and post the programme delivery. We focused not only on pupil impact, but also on the impact on the teachers. Annual, annual reviews encouraged reflective practice and took into consideration the feedback from the principals, the teachers, the pupils and the parents. There were many qualitative statements collated from the stakeholders that highlighted the impacts on confidence, self-esteem and motivation. When the programme was wrapping up in 2018, we completed an exit survey of primary seven children. Over 2,000 children responded, and we asked them to reflect on their experience. Uh, children reported that the programme made them feel happy, excited, and they felt included and found the programme fun and enjoyable. I think more important is that children uh, continue to engage in physical activity across a diverse range of activities, with many using their own local leisure facilities and clubs. I suppose just to finish off, recent research uh, from the University of Ex Exeter in 2020, Be Active, Be Happy, 
uh, concluded from a survey of 6,000 children across 21 schools that less active children are less happy children. Uh, Dublin City University, uh, also in 2020, uh, completed a, a research study on physical activity and mental wellness. This is the first time these two have been connected. Again, the survey included over 5,500 children across 79 schools. Uh, the conclusion was that those engaged in sport and higher levels of well-being uh, uh, sorry, so higher levels of well-being and lower symptoms of anxiety and depression. Finally, a report just produced uh, in Northern Ireland here, the Youth Wellbeing NI, commissioned research from QUB, UU and the Health HSC, and it reported that one in eight children had an emotional disorder such as anxiety and depression. So this is something I think we have to keep uh, foremost in our thoughts. As a partnership, we want to encourage physical activity, physical education and sport in and out of school. We want our policymakers to examine the research thoroughly to inform their actions and their decisions. We want school leaders to engage and shift priorities to ensure delivery of programmes. We want individuals and families to change behaviours, and we think our programmes can actually influence those. We want our governing bodies to sustain the resource that they, that they provide to support these programmes. Um, finally, we want meaningful cross-departmental funding and government for projects that impact on physical and emotional health of the children and youth, and also improve the environments for children and youth to flourish. As a teacher reported in one statement from the research on the programme, the children returned to the classroom healthy and happy and ready for the rest of the day. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Um, thank you to every uh, governing body represented here today for your presentation, but also for the outstanding work that you do in, in our community um, across a wide range of, of issues. Um, I am passionate about the power of sport um, to improve the lives of children and young people and to improve our entire community. Um, so it's extremely encouraging to see the work of, of every code and the partnership working um, that has been going on for many, many years now, um, often under the radar. We probably don't do enough um, to celebrate and, and recognise the, the impact of this work, so I'm, I'm delighted that we're able to platform it today. Um, I sat in the stall out early, Clark. Um, I, I think the Education Committee should support uh, the proposal that is being made to the Department of Education by the IFA and, and GAA in relation to a uh, uh, successor to the Curriculum Sports Programme. Um, I think Justin McNulty and I were part of a cross-party delegation um, that um, supported the extension of the previous Curriculum Sports Programme and, indeed, I think the edu previous Education Committee um, added support to that work as well. So um, we can consider that, Clark, after today's briefing in terms of making that a formal proposal to the Department of Education. Um, witnesses, we, the, the Northern Ireland Assembly um, voted in favour of, a, albeit my amendment, um, to um, call on the Minister for Education to improve the monitoring and reporting of physical education hours per week accessed by primary pupils and to issue a public consultation on the introduction of a statutory obligation on schools to facilitate an appropriate minimum amount of physical education hours per week for primary schools. It, it, it does seem from evidence um, that um, the, the data suggests that can still far too few pupils are accessing that recommended amount of physical 
education per week um, and it's clear that the findings are that the work um, of your programs are significantly enhancing the amount of hours and the quality of those hours that they access. Um, what I know you've referenced some of it already, but what is the type of feedback that you get um, from primary school teachers with regards to the the key help some of these programs are to um, assisting them to make sure that those are those recommended hours and that quality fundamental movement physical literacy education is being received in their schools. Might, I might at this point, are we able to yeah. bring in yeah, uh, sure, Michael and Fleur because they, they oversee the coaches that are in the schools and they might be better placed to answer that? Yeah, that would be great. Mike, Mike uh, Fleur? Michael's over here, Fossil GA. Um, probably one of, one of the things we've done that started this year was we asked our staff to, on a regular basis, speak to, speak to their teachers. And see how they found the program going. So it was an anecdotal thing, and they were taking significant statements back. And one of the one of the one of the surveys we done showed that ninety three percent of the teachers say that after returning to the class from lessons, children were far more settled. They were much better behaved, had better listening skills, and um, there was greater participation in question and answering sessions. Improved focus on their tasks. Um, more good work was being completed. They were more engaged. They were settled. And there was fewer instances of restless fidgety behaviours. So, from from an anecdotal point of view, and from that survey, it showed that whatever we were doing in our thirty-five to forty-five minute lessons, something was happening. So it is, and that's that's across ninety-three percent of the schools at the minute. That ourselves and the IFA are working in one hundred and five schools, delivering over five hundred PE lessons a week to nearly twelve thousand children. So, that that's a significant. Um, piece of information that's being relayed back to us, and this information is relayed back to us uh, every at the end of every term. At the start of the start of the new program in September 2019, we asked we asked both our, our sets of staff, 24 staff, and they kept a reflective diary. And what they done was they were looking for coachable moments and significant statements. So coachable coachable moments being uh, coachable moments being. Whenever somebody is struggling during a session, or when somebody is performing, you know, well during a session, the coach steps in and, and, and they develop that piece of, you know, session in terms of respect and help and how the children are reacting, and also significant statements, and uh, where the where the where the staff were recording what teachers were saying to them after lessons, what pupils were saying to them after lessons, and that could have been anything. And one of the big ones that jumped out at us, and it, it was a very simple statement in the middle of one of the programs last October was. One of our one of our coaches in in Fermanagh was a young girl came there after the session and says, "Emer, we hope you're back next week because if you don't come back, we're not going to get any PE." So I think that's a very very stark and very very significant statement in terms of the program we offer. Um, you know, and moving forward, I think it's really really important that this is embedded. I suppose from our perspective, we're probably it's plugging a small gap. If you take the last survey, show, there was around 184,000 primary school children in Northern Ireland. Um, we're, we're hitting around 12,000, 13,000 children a week. So cumulatively over a 10-week period, it's, it's 120,000 children are getting PE. It's a small, it's, we're plugging a small gap, but if that disappears, the implications are massive. They are, they're massive. Yep. Um, okay. Children moving through school life are going to lose development of social skills, teamwork, et cetera, et cetera. So this is really, really important that we move that forward. Thanks, Michael. Claire, do you want to respond as well? 
Yeah, um, so just last week, um, I was part of the All-Ireland Physical Literacy Forum and it identified um, several key themes that children are now expressing in terms of their physical literacy and, and PE. Um, and one of them is, you know, knowledge and understanding that they understand the consequences of physical activity. And what is fed back by the teachers in our programme is that um, we supplement the physical activity lessons with um, information around healthy eating, um, around a positive, healthy lifestyle. And so their children are also understanding the why behind what they're doing also. Um, fun and engagement is key for children. And again, that's an environment that our coaches are really passionate about um, providing. And that leads um, significantly to social interaction with their peers and that peer support, um, which is key in their motivation for staying physically active for a long, long, for long term. Um, our coaches are particularly skilled at pr providing variety, choice, and making it personally relevant. So um, it's it's a wide range of activities. So there's something for everybody. Um, and again, that's identified by the teachers that there's a real broad scope of activity, um, and that therefore the sessions are very inclusive. Um, Another key point would be that it's appropriately challenged, that the, the activities are appropriately challenging and that effort is rewarded. So it's not just about elite pathways and, and working with the best players, that everyone is challenged to be better than what they were yesterday, last week. Um, and they have those personal goals and therefore a sense of um, achievement and joy um, in what they're doing. And that we also try to address any kind of negative barriers with um, in our sessions too. So if there is negative or um, social support there. Um, we link that in weeks of such as anti-bullying week next week and we talk about the importance of um, being a good friend, being a good teammate, how you can provide more support and that in itself as well creates a more positive environment um, where confidence can then be increased. Claire, um, can, I, Claire can, I, can I use that as a point just to ask one final supplementary question then as well? The, I, I noted in the, the baseline findings quite starkly and, and concerningly that um, that 26% of girls, um, only 26% of girls <laughs> looked forward to physical activity each day and that was, that was the baseline finding at the start um, and that in terms of the, the key factors in what physical activity means to me, it was stated uh, the, the uh, uh, girls responding cited weight and getting skinny. Um, which I think is a really startling insight into the the, the pressures um, that apply to to young girls in in schools. I, and and another finding was that some of the factors around not being involved in regular physical activity was a a, a concern of not being good enough. So are 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 the programs uh, you've you've already said there in terms of in, informing and inspiring children about why good nutrition and physical activity is so good for them um, from self-esteem, from physical and mental health and well-being. Uh, are those concerning baseline findings around girls in particular something that the programmes are responding to, Claire? Yes, absolutely. So um, this, is, this is actually quite new, I suppose, to us, just with Callum being on board with the research over the last um, six months or so. Um, so that's where we would link within our own governing body to the other programs that we provide. So um, within the RHFA, we have our um, Shooting Stars program, um, which is specifically for 
girls only and we would try and signpost the girls into maybe a girls only environment where it's about fun and friendship um, as opposed to maybe those other messages that they're picking up about being skinny and things like that. So it's linking in with our other programs. Um, we are planning on working with UF and Disney next year to provide a girls only breakfast club in our schools too. So um, it's just providing a more bespoke environment for girls uh, in which they can experience the sort of fun and enjoyment um, and where we can then start to filter more of those more positive messages around um, feeling confident in their body um, and that it's not about being skinny, you know, that it's about being strong and healthy. Um, so those kind of messages too. Callum, I don't know if there was something you maybe want to add on that. No, no it's, it's, it's a really important point. Um, and it's one where the, the bit that scared me was the terminology um, and the fact that that was so easily used. Um, when we've done, when we've um, asked the children to fill in the base, baseline survey, we asked them some uh, quantitative questions, but also at the end we asked them to offer some reflection, draw some pictures, um, and say you know the words that being physically active means to them. And it was very concerning that the word skinny, you know, just as terminology was being used, there was, you know, there was also stuff on the boys' side about um, you know boys drawing big muscly men as, as this is the social norm. So there is some um, mm. um, morphia issues coming into it. What I'd say on the program, which I think is an important point, when we spoke to the teachers, and ironically, we probably got a bit more time with the teachers because of the lockdown. So we were able to go into a bit more depth. Um, one of the, uh, lots of the anecdotal quotes that we've recorded were around this program particularly engages those who don't normally engage in PE or it's particularly engaging for for the girls, um, attendance is higher on the day the coach is coming in. So when we see that baseline data, although it's concerning, those pupils as of yet haven't been through the program. So when we go back to that same cohort to um, look at the same uh, group of people again and see what they fill in, that's where we'll get to see, you know, it's only a 10 week causation period, but we should get to see if, you know, what the teachers are telling us about that engagement more with the, in inverted commas, non-sporty children. Yeah. actually comes across within the data but it's it's a really important point i'm glad you've raised it chairperson yeah I'll, I'll i'll move on here but yeah just just to conclude on on that point i i think it's massively important that that these programs and that physical education in in our schools promote positive understandings of of physical health and, and participation in, in physical activity i coached the brother of the star of your shooting stars uh, campaign by the way um so i'm i'm superbly biased in relation to that but i bring in deputy chairperson karen mullen mla thank you chair uh and thank you everybody for attending this morning apologies i just have to pop out after this um, I also want to thank you all uh, and all the coaches on the hard work that you do. I'm very passionate um, about uh, sport and healthy lifestyles programs in schools. I worked in a healthy living centre for many years um, and delivered many uh, healthy programs and physical activities and into my local schools. I know a lot about the sports curriculum program and about the work of your organization. So it's great to hear um, particularly the research uh, and, and what you're building upon. Um, because when, when I did, um, I suppose did that work, uh, the programs didn't just include football, rugby and GAA, 
but also uh, dance, judo, yoga, yoga, etc. You know, because it was about trying to get as many children involved um, and participating. It is vital that a varied program um, is, is offered to ensure that all children are able to take part in physical activity and an activity that they enjoy. So the department needs to go further and it needs to broaden out the sports curriculum um, program in my view and it needs to be funded. Um, so I would support that call um, as well. Uh, the coaches um, from, from all your organisations are excellent and I, I used to see just the delight in the children's faces and how much they look forward to them coming on every week. Uh, and, and I've seen the benefits as well um, uh, wider than the physical activity and Claire spoke there and uh, Callum, you know, when you look at the fun, the mental health, the confidence that it builds in young people, the resilience also, and then also being part of a team. Um, and, and also we would have tied it in as used to with the wider curriculum. So there's many varied, varied benefits. Chris, I'm really glad that when you give your presentation, you touched on the challenges over and above that's outside of your control and outside of the school's control. You talked about funding, but you also talked about the facilities within schools um, and the inequity that, that is across our schools. I'm thinking particular in one school, Myers and Joseph's Boy School. It's the only boys, uh, 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 all, all boys, um, non-selection uh, non school that we have and their facilities is, is awful and we can't get the department or EA to step in to properly fund them um, and it's just not acceptable so we need to see that happen as well as being invested in the programs that you talked about today. So um, I suppose I, I didn't really have a question but I just wanted to, to say that to you. Um, uh, it's great to see he's coming here today and um, I suppose look forward to doing a wee bit more with these and working with the Department and the Education Authority to broaden out and ensure that these programmes not only continue, but uh, as I say that, oh sorry, I actually do, I'm all over the place here because I have to go to another <laughs> meeting. Uh, to go back. In relation to the programme that's currently going on at the minute, Michael, I see in the, the presentation that there's 288 schools that's benefiting. I know more schools in my area and Derry would like to be able to benefit. And you talked about the proposal for the schools programme um, for the next two years. Would that ensure that um, more schools were able to avail of uh, the programmes that you currently offer? Yes, uh, thanks for the question. Yeah, we through our new proposal, um, we want to do more work uh, around building capacity with the schools and mentoring the schools and building up the capacity of the teachers and the volunteers connected to the schools. So uh, part of our proposal uh, would enable us to reach more schools and to reach more school children. Uh, but obviously we need greater investment in that. I'll maybe ask Eugene to ask you. I suppose one, one of the challenges, uh, Karen, was during COVID, um, to reduce the risks as, as much as possible. So we actually were in probably double the number of schools to what we currently are. Um, so we took a decision that the coach would be in one school for the day just to ensure there's no to decrease the risk basically of transfer. So um, obviously we, we did operate at one stage with over 30 coaches. Um, that's been significantly reduced. Um, so our spread, as Michael Glover has said, uh, is a lot less than what it was. But I think 
given the current situation, we're, we're happy just to have one school per day, and that actually uh, would uh, reduce the risk of any transfer. Um, but our ideal ideal situation would be to be in every school. Um, yeah. But obviously, resources for that are just huge, and that's for uh, for people in higher positions. <laughs> Well, Eugene, I can tell you every school in Derry City and County Derry uh, once she's done, so I get plenty of requests for it. So um, great work, everybody. Thank you, Chair. Thanks, Karen. Can I bring in William Humphrey? The terrible GA, but. <laughs> can you hear me okay? Yes, William, go ahead. Thank you. Um, thank you very much, everybody, for your time and presentation this morning. I think, Chair, before we start, given that. Um, uh, and I declare an interest as a member of the Green White Army. Given that we are we with a big game tomorrow night, I think we, um, as a committee, should join with so many people across Northern Ireland and wishing Stephen Davis and the team all the best for tomorrow night's playoff of Slovakia. Because uh, you know we've heard earlier about community relations and good community relations, and we know that um, the team qualifying for the Euros will be a huge boost to that next year. So we wish we wish the boys well for tomorrow sure. night. Um, Chair. I listened carefully, and I, I think someone said, maybe Michael, that this scheme has been going on, this project has been on for 14 years. And I certainly remember when I first arrived at Stormont, the, you know, getting a presentation such like this at the old decal committee. Um, can I ask those in front of us this morning, are they concerned there's a real threat to the continuation of the project in terms of government funding? Yeah, it's uh, well. We we had a we had a very good meeting with the education minister uh, a few weeks ago, and um, we were we were reassured, you know, that we're in his thoughts uh, for the next round of fund funding for the next twelve months. I think where we'd like to get to as a partnership is longer term funding cycles, because for the staff involved, in particular the coaches, um, to to limp on with twelve months funding and then not be sure if you're going to get it and then limp on again uh, is not ideal for morale. So longer term funding commitment uh, to these types of programmes is really important for the future if it's possible. Yeah, I think one of the key challenges for us is the retention of staff. Uh, and when you're on a 12, minute, 12 month programme, by, by month nine, staff are starting to look at the door because there's no commitment beyond uh, the 12 months. And we have found um, with the department that it has been very much last minute uh, in terms yeah. of decisions, and um, we just feel that that's, that's not appropriate. So we spent considerable time building up um, expertise within the staff, and uh, then we lose them at, at short notice. So uh, that, that is definitely a challenge for us. So as Michael has said, we, we, are, we put a joint proposal together for a three-year project, and we would hope that the uh, department would look at that favourably. I have to say, Chair, as none of you for a time worked in the community sector, I absolutely sympathise with the point that's just been made. You know, one year contract really, six months into that contract and staff are understandably looking for uh, other employment because of the pressures that they have at their home. So I, I fully sympathise with that point. I also picked up that 90% of teachers um, were satisfied with the, the project. So can I just ask the, the witnesses this morning, what would be the impact uh, if the project wasn't there in terms of fitness, discipline, um, personal development, and so on for our young people? I think maybe if I just come in initially, um, I, th I think this whole area of work is, is a specialist area of work. And I always use the example of um, 
the school asked me to teach music, I would be looking somewhere else for something to do it. And I think that uh, physical education, although we're not physical education specialists, uh, we're sports coaches, that uh, this is a specialist area. Uh, and I, I do feel that if this programme wasn't there, that there would be less uh, activity in the schools. Yeah. And um, I think that that's something we're very conscious of. And I know that um, outside of this programme, that both um, the, the, the three bodies that are here provide resources into schools <laughs> to encourage uh, sports activity, both uh, during, during curriculum and after schools. So, you know, the, the programme that we're talking about here is probably part of our delivery, I think, if Michael would maybe agree with me and, and Chris, into the schools. So I think it's important that, you know, that this is a PE is a specialist area, just like music would be and that um, it requires people with specialist knowledge to deliver that. Yeah, if, if I could maybe just jump in there on the back of what Eugene said, and, and obviously, whilst we're not directly involved in the programme in question, we are, as a government body, delivering sport within primary schools. And I think from our point of view, the, the overriding uh, message that, that we look to get across in that work is providing a quality experience for the, for the pupils, so something which they find fun and engaging, which was referenced earlier. Um, our approach is also to work alongside the, the teacher in delivery of, of PE within that curriculum time um, because we, we find that it helps improve the confidence of the teacher themselves, that there is a professional there guiding the session, but we also work very closely with them to make sure that whenever that staff member is, is no longer available or moves on to, to delivery in another school, that the teacher feels that they have the confidence to take that activity on. So again, it's not solely reliant on, on an individual coach coming in all of the time, but we're there to help build the confidence of the, the teacher as well. And maybe just, just to finish on that, there was a, there was a survey, Department of Health survey in 2018, 37% um, of people in Northern Ireland overweight, 27% obese. And when we were pulling together our plans for the, the current uh, program that we're working on with Denny, um, there was more girls in schools with type 2 diabetes in Northern Ireland than any other part of the United Kingdom. So. Well, what we need really is uh, a considerable uplift in what's going into this area and a considerable investment in what's going on. What, what we've got at the moment um, is not satisfying what the children across the country need. Uh, and together, a multi-sport approach and the proposal we've put together uh, to the Education Minister is really important. I think that it's supported and that the Education Committee come in behind it. Um, Jared, can I just, uh, in relation to, uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, the presentation was made, made to the old decal committee. Can I ask our witnesses uh, this morning, does the Department of Communities as a successor department of decal provide funding for uh, similar schemes to what we're talking about this morning for the three associations? Yeah, there, there's some decal funding, but not certainly not for this particular area of work. Um, one of the things that uh, you know, when we met the minister, was uh, the discussion around partnership funding uh, across departmental. And one of the recommendations we have in here is that um, you know this particular area of work is cross departmental. Um, and I know health obviously has its own crisis at the moment around funding and uh, and all that's going on there. But certainly, you know, a more joined up approach between communities, health, and um, education certainly I think would add value to this program and what we're trying to achieve. Um, but at the moment, you know, at the moment, we are in a position where we have to go knocking the doors, uh, and you know, Michael and myself, in particular, have spoken about this, and we feel that that is something that should be at governmental level, that uh, departments should be working closer together and delivering yeah. on particular outcomes. Yeah. 
Yep. I think I think a joint up approach around those issues is, is hugely important. I think there's a, absolutely no doubt about that. Um, in terms of, can I just ask, is this project solely about working in schools? Uh, I declare an interest as a member of the Scout Association. Do you work with uniform organisations as well as in school do that in terms of the funding constraints you have? So just, just on that one, if I can jump in, um, during the lockdown and the pandemic, the two organisations uh, developed over 50 uh, videos that schools and, um, and clubs and volunteers and families could download so that they could exercise at home um, safely. Um, we also had virtual sports days, and I know from our, our own analysis in the RHFA with regards to social media engagement, we know that there was more than 40,000 uh, people, you know, downloaded those videos to, to make them work at home. So I think um, what we're doing has a massive impact in the schools and with the young people, but clubs and volunteers and community groups like Scout NI, um, the BB, the Girls Brigade, they're all benefiting from this as well because when we put those resources out there because of the, the massive reach that the organisations have, lots of those organisations were contacting us and they benefited from those resources as well. I think just if I could come in quickly, just one of the important things I think is um, sustainability of activity outside of school and we're very conscious that we need to deliver a quality um, service within the schools but equally we, we feel that we need to encourage the children to participate outside of school. So uh, linking them in to uh, activities outside of the, the school day I think is very important. Uh, and one, on the exit survey that we did with the P7 children, um, you know, we asked them what do they get involved in, and, and the children were involved across about 12 or 13 different sports. And I think that's important. This isn't, I think, the IFA and the, uh, the GAA going in trying to recruit Gaelic footballers and soccer players or football players. Uh, this is about us providing young people with the right uh, physical skills so that it reminds me of someone who did a project for me one time on rising from the chair. It was a biomechanics project and it was all about the mechanics of movement. And um, it's the same, same principle, the, the basic skills, physical literacy skills that these young people learn through this particular programme are skills that they can take into any sport or any physical activity. And uh, just back to Karen, she's probably gone now, but you know, the, uh, one of the, the outputs of this was children were involved in dance uh, and athletics and netball and, and various sports. So uh, this particular programme is about building those blocks so that children can actually engage in the, in the, wider, in the wider activities. Thanks, William. I think, and I just finished by saying, you know, I agree with the joint upness. I think early intervention, it's proven that early intervention, so many things we heard about this morning, early intervention is both cheaper and more effective. Thank you. Thanks, William. I mean, as, as part of the cross-party um, lobbying of the government departments when there was a, a risk of the curriculum sports program um, funding for it ceasing. We, we heavily encourage cross-departmental um, funding of the program. I think there are too few examples of pooled budgeting on programs in the Northern Ireland Executive. It probably didn't help at the time that there were no ministers, but hopefully with ministers in place, the type of suggestions you're making, William, in terms of pooled budgets and cross-departmental support for a programme like this can be taken forward. Um, keep us moving along here because we're particularly tight for time this morning. Can I bring in Daniel, please? Thanks, Daniel McCrossan. Uh, thank you, Chair. Uh, Eugene, Michael uh, and uh, Claire, uh, Michael and Callum on, on, uh, 
on the screen. Uh, you're very welcome. Presentation is very, very helpful. Um, this is something that's hugely important for a variety of reasons. The arguments are very well made, um, and some of the, st the stats that you provided today is very helpful for supporting the argument. I had support what the chair has said and support many proposals that you've come forward with. Uh, I know that uh, the program fell foul uh, to the absence of these institutions, and it caused a considerable amount of issue uh, for quite a lot of coaches uh, in my wider area in uh, West Tyrone and beyond. And I've seen uh, a lot of people very distressed about having to make decisions, about leaving something they love doing uh, uh, because they couldn't uh, uh, plan to pay their mortgage at the end of the month due to the uncertainty. Uh, I'll be glad to see uh, this issue resolved, and let's, be, let's remember it's, it's absolutely in the interests of, of everybody uh, that um, uh, there is uh, greater funding provided and certainty to the programme. Uh, this is not a cost, in my opinion. I think it's an investment and a necessary one that will pay considerable dividends uh, if you consider the uh, return uh, uh, in terms of well-being of younger people, uh, both mental and physical health. But also in a world of social media, uh, where younger people are stuck to screens now, whereas I would have been threw out with a ball uh, uh, when I was a lot younger, um, uh, is having a considerable impact. So I think it's important now more than ever that we do uh, invest. And I, I can't echo the words of the chair. I'm, I'm more of a successful spectator than participant, <laughs> and I've had quite a, a lot of uh, interesting incidents whilst I'm on the on the pitch, including the broken arm whilst in nets, uh, uh, and no one near me. So explain explain, explain that. Uh, but uh, uh, William has answered a number, uh, 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 or asked a number of the questions I was going to ask. But just in terms of um, the impact, uh, if we don't move beyond uh, this 12-month programme and the uncertainty, what do you believe the impact of that will be in the long term? Unless this, this issue is resolved, maybe they return the institutions on young people. Personally, I just think our, our, one of our biggest issues is sustaining staff um, and, and giving people some sort of security. Now, obviously, no job's ever 100% secure, but at least if, if, three, if people um, have some idea that there's a three-year programme here, a three-year window, we can plan over a three-year period. But at the minute, we're basically planning um, on a three-month period, or even on a monthly period uh, due to COVID. Um, but certainly, longevity in the programme would allow us to do a bit of longitudinal research as well, in terms of uh, pre, uh, middle, and post uh, the, the project, uh, and also allow us to, I suppose, get around more schools as well and make more impact on schools. Um, plus the teacher, the teacher support. Uh, we have done some work with the Education Authority on the shared education programme. That particular project only ran for a small window, uh, because the funding was for that small window. That was hugely successful. Again, a limited number of schools, our partnership schools, got, uh, were able to get involved in it. But that, that is a project that um, is just is ready to go, and I think it's a project that needs to happen. Um, so, you know, the, the implications are really around the, the whole staffing thing and retention of good people, um, plus the, the, the long-term planning of any project. What yeah. level of funding is required? In this long term, develop it to its full potential. Yeah, well, we we spent a lot of time uh, working with the Ulster GAA um, on the back of Callum's research, developing a proposal. So we're we're asking for 2.5 million over three years, um, and that would the current funding uh, runs out um, March in 21. So we're looking from April 21 right through to uh, March 24, uh, and that would give us the the tools to do what we 
we believe we can achieve. And I know I, I don't know if Callum wants to come in at this point to talk about because I know he he had, he had talked to a lot of the schools and a lot of the teachers about the impact if you take this away. Um, it's basically taking away some of the school's capacity to deliver any PE. And I don't know if Callum wants to uh, come in at this point. Callum, yeah. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, yes, thank you, Chairperson. Thank you. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of things it's, it's probably worth noting at this point. Um, we had a spectrum of interaction from the teachers, you know, some who were incredibly confident about being in a PE lesson and some who were, this was the scariest thing in the universe. And I think um, the way Eugene put it, you know, put me in a music class and I will really struggle to teach that class. And, that, and, and the same is the other way around with some of the teachers. Um, so there's a couple of pieces on that in terms of the data we've collected. Um, and when we spoke to the schools at length, we asked them what the differences are between this program and other coaches or coaching programs that come into schools. And one of, although it wasn't the highest level because coach uh, expertise, technical content, pupil engagement were the top scorers, staff engagement existed. And when we asked the difference between this and other programs, they talked about the staff engaged. You know, in the, the more engaged schools, the, the, the teachers were telling me, um, we're really sorry, but we steal all your ideas. And I was, I was explaining to them, no, this is, we want you to steal ideas. Please steal as much as you can. What else can we get you to steal? Um, but in the less engaged schools with the teachers who perhaps, um, and there was a mix of smaller schools, schools in geographically isolated areas, um, just schools that by virtue of chance didn't really have a PE specialist or someone with a sport background. Um, there was almost this desire for this flexibility of delivery. So maybe not just being constrained to one, um, to key stage two, if you like, but also but, but being able to flexibly deliver on what the school needed or the pupils needed. But uh, the other point on investment, which I think Eugene's articulated really well, um, I'd probably just add that um, the schools sometimes don't know what's happening with the program come the end of the year. And they notice because they notice that a coach may change or that suddenly there was a lot of activity and it's changed now from a, you know, basically a coach being in there as a member of staff for the year mm -hmm. to being a 10 week block and then the show leaves town. So although there's a huge impact for the coaches, um, there's a huge impact for the schools as well in not knowing what's coming around the corner. Uh, and that's really important, particularly um, what we found in, in smaller schools, geographically isolated schools, or schools with less staff is probably the easiest way to do it because by virtue of numbers, we see less PE specialists in those schools. Um, and almost there's this fear that, oh my word, we're, we're, we're not gonna get any support with our PE lessons, or this is a, this is a factor. If I was being completely honest, I'd say, um, you know, delivering a 10-week block of activity and expecting the same level of delivery from staff is probably not possible. I think there's more we can do in the architecture of the program to build in more support for the schools once the delivery is left, and that's something that's gone into the proposal, and it's something that would be welcomed by most schools. Um, but this factor of uh, what would happen if the program wasn't there, I think, you know, I wouldn't use the word catastrophic, but I think there'd be a, a serious decrease in the amount of, in the quantity and the quality of uh, physical activity within the schools. And, you know, what we've seen, even in those pupils with baseline who, you know, don't particularly have an interest in, in sports, in inverted commas, um, they do talk about friends, fun, games, uh, PE giving them energy, them feeling inspired, them feeling better after PE. 
And we also see, which has just come out through the baseline, I think we just got the data when we prepared the briefing notes, we do see those children doing more than 60 minutes of physical activity a day, have higher confidence levels, and probably most importantly, they um, are more likely to want to solve problems, not just give up on something. So I think there's some fairly grim prospects if if this program or other programs of its like weren't uh, in existence anymore. Thanks, Callum. Briefly, Daniel. Callum, yeah. you, hit, you hit a very interesting point that, because the, the benefits of this program, as I said, the arguments are well made and encourages teamwork, engagement, uh, problem solving. I'm wondering, could we sign the executive up to your program? <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks. On that note, Robbie Butler, MLA. Thank you, Chair. I, I thought today actually what you might have done was being fair to Justin because Justin is a, a minister, is an MLA for the SDLP. I think he's an MLA for DAA because I don't think there's a speech in this chamber that ever goes past without oh, no. leveraging the DAA somewhere. So I look forward to Justin's I'm, contribution. I'll make sure we get him in. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> okay, guys. I was part of the the, the cross party. Group as most of you will know, a couple of years ago with Chris and, and Justin, so I'm not going to rehearse some of the pressures because you, you guys are very quickly coming around to the same position, I believe, that we were in a couple of years ago with regard to funding and the longitudinal piece of it. I, I have no doubt you'll get the support of this committee, and you know that my primary um, drive is mental health um, and suicide prevention, and I want to thank each of your organisations for the support that you gave me two years ago um, when you supported me. I think it was, the, it was Hope Sunday, we called it, and there was representatives from each of the sectors that came and some of them have kept friends with me. But I think at, at times what you guys do, um, and, and it's out of a false modesty, it's not a false modesty, it's a modesty and you shouldn't do it, because we have some fantastic sporting icons, even at this moment in time, across all three sports. We've got something, probably in my time, lifetime, I'm a wee bit older than Chris, but certainly in my lifetime, I think, um, <laughs> certainly the rugby, the football, and the GAs never had the profile it's had. But the impact that that has with young people is enormous. I mean, I listened to Ashley McConville yesterday. He was talking about the, the, the COVID and what the, the GA might do next. I thought he spoke wonderfully well. I think the, the, the leadership that Steve Davis gives us as a captain of Northern Ireland, and, and my personal favourite, who's Josh McGuinness. Josh came to the, that Sunday. Absolutely fabulous. And the work that they do, not particularly for football, rugby, just uh, give away to him um, uh, to, to that. And, and, and so what they do, other than their sport, is they, they actually do what you're trying to do in terms of that iconic bit, and I think it's, I think it's wonderful. Um, and I think that the, what that gives us is the, the spread. That's the good stuff I'm going to talk about. So I want you to, to, to really not be shy about leaning on your stars because they will pick up and motivate the young people to do more because we do know that PE isn't uh, a well-driven uh, uh, curriculum activity in school, so we need you guys to, to pick up a bit of that. I'm going to give you some challenges, but okay. one of the things that I haven't heard today is um, your interaction with special schools. Okay, so you'll know. It, well, hopefully, you'll know that it's a priority of this um, committee to see um, all of our pupils, regardless of the sector they're in, uh, to ensure that they're not left behind and not forgotten about. So I do. So I've just. I, I'm going to ask two questions. That's the, that's the first one. So if, if there's anything that's been ongoing or anything that can be done, or that there's anything we can help with to ensure that there's no sector um, that is is forgotten about. And then the other piece, I, and this goes with the mental health piece, you know that there's an emotional health and wellbeing framework document that is, is going to be put out probably in December. So if you can tell me, because you have 14 years, 15 years of experience with the department, have you had any engagement with that, uh, that group that is, is driving that framework? And if not, we'll try and make sure that that happens, I would imagine. Parental partnership is going to be key. 
So I know that the Deputy Chair talked about this. So it's the facilities in the schools, it's, it's the resources and stuff that needs to be good. So people like somewhere good to go to, they like quality facilities, but really partnership with parents as well. So, for the, so the <coughs> schools is a brilliant place to get it. Okay, that's definitely the right focus. However, when kids go out of schools, the parental buy-in is critical to getting our young people to engage outside of school too. So I'll leave it there, guys. And if you can answer all of that, then yeah, I'm done. I, I, I'll jump in first, just on that. Um, with regards to the special schools, the coaches do go in to special schools, and also uh, each code would have uh, programmes outside of the Denny programme as well. So. Basically, in football, any school that's special school or caters for people with disabilities is offered free uh, coaching and support. So, uh, and, and through the program, uh, actually, the the partnership decided it wasn't a requirement from Denny at the time. We decided it was the right thing to do, uh, and we sent our coaches into those schools. So, we didn't touch on it earlier, but that's something that we've been doing uh, for a long time. Um, with regards to the mental health piece. Um, the, the sports actually met last week, uh, rugby, GAA, netball and Ulster Boxing had a meeting around what we can do collectively uh, and we had uh, Tony Murphy from Department for Communities sat in on the meeting as well. Um, what we're looking at is developing uh, an online course uh, and just on the point that you touched on, you know, about uh, the videos and using the stars and mm -hmm. using the mental health champions, you know, from the sports. Uh, part of the part of the idea is to develop a course which has video resources which shines the spotlight on some of those people from the different sports as well. So those resources are being developed, and we're we're putting together a proposal for the coping with COVID uh, fund with Tony on that. So there's a lot happening there. We also have our own you know heads up ahead of the game uh, programs that all fit in with the five steps and the mental health framework. So we're we're very well connected in those ways. Uh, parental partnerships. Uh, all the sports, as far as I'm aware of, support the parents in sports week. And we also, in football, have uh, workshops specifically for parents because they play such an important role in the development of the, the young players and the young kids. So I'm sure the other sports have something similar, but I'll pass on to Eugene. Yeah, something similar to Michael there. You know, um, we do try and target the special schools. Um, again, this comes down to a resource issue mm -hmm. and also the expertise of the coaches going in because obviously that's a, 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 <laughs> we're talking about specialist area. It's a specialist, specialist area. So it's very important that we get the right people in. But yeah, GA for all autism and coaching, the wheelchair sports that uh, FA do and we do ourselves, and I know rugby have done some stuff as well. So, so that's very important. And one of the, one of the interesting programmes is um, bringing the wheelchairs into uh, you know a run-of-the-mill school uh, where a child is in a wheelchair in that class and getting the other kids into the wheelchairs and giving them that experience of well, this is my mate who's sitting over there and. This is the experience that he's having, so it helps them empathise a wee bit better with with the, with the children. Uh, parental engagement is a challenge uh, in, in GA and the, the broader context, but uh, the fact that we're actually engaging the parents through our research and our, and our surveys that we're doing is a very positive thing. Um, and we did have a homework club at one stage for PE, and some of the parents were complaining, but uh, I think that could be something we could revisit. <laughs> Good, yeah, yeah uh, from, from our point of view, last year 12% of our delivery was in special education needs schools. Uh, one of the challenges we have around that is that it's, it's funded currently through the Everybody Active programme, which comes to an end in March 2021, um, and it's where the, the ability to source funding beyond that. So again, some of the themes that we've talked on previously about that cross-departmental multi-year funding um, to address some of these issues is, is really key. and. We will, we will see an impact of that come the end of this financial year. Um, and, and as Eugene has said, it's very much down to having specialist coaches who can go in and engage. Uh, in terms of disability uh, rugby generally, uh, Ulster as a province has led the way across the island of Ireland. 
Um, and one of the key things that we've now seen is that the RFU, as the national governing body, have now appointed a disability officer for the first time to really lead the strategy on that. But that's something that proudly we have we have been been pushing very hard, um, both provincially and nationally. And one of the key things for us is creating that link between the club and the school, because it's about what the, the children can do beyond um, their, their involvement in the school at that stage. So that, that's a key piece of work for us, but it's certainly something we'd be concerned about beyond this year if funding can't be, be extended. Uh, in terms of the mental health programme, uh, Michael has, has very clearly stated the work that we have been doing, and, and we're committed to that. Um, and it's a programme that we've seen tremendous benefit from, again, just using sport as that anchor to engage people, um, but the wider benefits that come out the back of it. And then uh, around parental engagement and, and young persons engagement, pieces of work that we've done over the last couple of years have been about how do we broaden people's um, involvement and how do we broaden people's perspective in, in terms of delivering some of our strategies going forward as well. So whether that's through surveys or speaking to parents directly and trying to understand what their needs and requirements are is, is part of feeding into our, our future development um, because it's not just about um, maybe the view of a coach but everyone that has a a stake in terms of the delivery of the game. What do they want to see out of that? So it's it's key for us uh, and a key piece of work going forward. Pass on my apology to Craig Gilroy because I could just call him Gilroy and I hate calling anybody by the second name. <laughs> 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 and I'm at a mind fog, so apologies, Craig. I'm sure he's listening into this. <laughs> just, just, uh, one thing I wanted Make to up. add was in, in football, we've had a disability manager since 1997. Uh, the current disability manager, Alan Crooks, who's a pro license. Uh, football coach, um, but we, we fund all of that outside of the, the relationship with the Department of Education. But one thing I wanted just to note as a good news point was that the Northern Ireland Parcher team have qualified for the World Cup, which is going to be in Australia in 2022. Uh, and I know a lot of the, the work that went into engaging those kids initially came through the schools programmes. How's that, can I just ask, how's that funded? Very because briefly, what, yeah, need to do, do, you remember, form, yeah. do you remember what happened last year with the, the, the youth games and stuff? Did, did this fail because of funding? Is it a government funded initiative or is that privately funded in terms of getting them to Australia? We, making uh, sure they compete? We're in a very fortunate position where we can access some support through UEFA under social responsibility. So um, the way we target our UEFA funding around social responsibilities for mental health and for the disability programmes. They're going. All right. Excellent. Thank you. In fact, I'm glad you managed to get a reference to Living Legend and IFA Disability Football Programme Manager Alan Crooks into the committee <laughs> this morning. I, I coached in Fleming Fulton Special School with Alan Crooks uh, and a, a disability football club as well. He wouldn't have let you away with not having mentioned him there, Michael. I'm glad you did. You didn't get a mention anyway. <laughs> uh, thanks, Robbie. Can I bring in uh, Justin McNulty, MLA? Thanks. Thank you, Chair. Um, Robbie, I'd be more than happy to be an MLA solely for the GEA. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, Eugene, uh, Claire, Michael, Callum, and Chris, delighted to have you all before committee today. And it's refreshing, refreshing to hear your perspectives, refreshing to hear your inputs, all from competing sports, um, but collaborating warmly together and positively together for the greater good for, to help to raise children up and it's very very powerful and positive and important the work you're all doing so I commend you all in terms of what what the information you're, you're bringing forth today and the, the work you're, you're doing on a daily basis in schools and in communities and um, I find it astounding astounding that you're before this committee today with your begging bowls for to, to so that we can get have children 
access and physical activity, a sufficient level of access of physical activity in schools, I find it absolutely astonishing that that's where we're at as a society in the, in the modern world. It's incredible. Um, I would like some information in terms of how you feel the drop off in, in sports for uh, drop off in participation after 16, how that can be addressed, and um, how you are potentially addressing that as, as is in terms of what your delivery of your programmes. Yeah, if, if I maybe just jump in there from a from an Ulster rugby point of view, so um, transition that drop off from sort of age 16 onwards is something which we've identified as a as a key concern of ours, um, because if you think about the investment in the sport that, that an individual has had, either within a school environment or a club environment. Um, if, if they've been playing rugby or playing any sport and all of a sudden come to, come to a, 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 a cliff face at the age of 16 and just drop off, then, then that's lost. So one of the things that, that we have looked at has been this idea of, of transitioning players and transitioning pupils from school into club sport, um, sort of post-16. And looking at what are the challenges that those young people face so it's it's not always about the sport necessarily it's about all the other things that might be going on in their life whether that's education employment um, and then looking at okay well what are the solutions that we can put in place that choosing sport is an easy thing for them to do so how do we make the sport accessible how do we make the sport um, appropriate to what their needs are so I, I referenced earlier on some of the work that we've been doing around asking the young people, because I think that's sometimes what gets missed, is actually asking the young people what they want, and then providing that, that uh, opportunity to continue to play. And that might be in modified games, it might be in modified structures, but it's really important that we as a sport meet their requirements, and then make that really easy for them as well, and understand that it is a, a difficult and challenging time for them. And, I, and again, research would show to us that once we get them sort of post 18, we'll keep them for another few years, and, and maybe the next drop off comes for those students that go to university or college and just that transition in life. So um, we see that as one of our key areas of work moving forward. Uh, and what we've also engaged as well is because rugby is played at the age grade level in many different formats, whether that's in school or in club, is actually bringing all of those stakeholders together to understand and pull together a strategy which looks at how we best support those age grade players regardless of where they're playing the sport. So, again, are there opportunities to create um, a, a product or create an offering which appeals to them and keeps them involved? Um, and I think that's really important, is, is taking that young person's voice, listening to it, and then providing something which they want to, to, to take hold of and get involved in. OK, thanks, Chris. Michael, Eugene, do you want to respond briefly to yeah, that as well and bring Justin back in, obviously? Yeah, just really quickly, uh, outside of the Denny programme, we employ three Football for All Schools officers, Mal Donaghy, Ross Redmond, Jackie Blythe, and two education officers, um, Dermot McNeese and Gareth Allen, and they focus on the post-primary schools to keep uh, young people engaged. Uh, we also have a schools quality mark, uh, which gives young people volunteer uh, experience and structured work experience programs with the Irish FA Foundation. Uh, we have the Women's Performance Academy at Ulster University and the Boys Performance Academy there for the, for the better players to keep them engaged. We're also exploring um, how we develop football and sports related BTECs. Uh, and we have our education officers delivering in Ashfield in East Belfast uh, and the colleges in Larne and Coleraine. Um, and there's, there's lots going on to try and encourage uh, young people, even if they're not particularly good players, if they have an interest in sport, um, the Irish FA Foundation offers multi-sport programmes as well uh, to support those young people to stay engaged and to stay active 
uh, and they give them work experience and employability skills. So there's a lot of investment outside of the Denny programme in football that goes into post-primary schools. Thanks, Michael. Eugene? Yeah, just quickly, uh, Justin, you'll be aware of some of these, but uh, post-16 is obviously a huge issue, mm-hmm. and um, particularly for females and keeping the females involved. And we have two uh, employees through Ladies Gaelic Football uh, who work on the, on the Gaelic for Girls programme uh, in the schools and then uh, working in the clubs to promote the school club link, which I think is, is key to sustain them, sustaining, them, uh, sustaining their activity. Uh, on the male side and the men's side, we have a programme called Super Games, which is targeting, uh, again, those that don't want to be uh, like yourself, maybe on a, on a competitive basis. And that Super Games programme really is on a regional basis where people can drop in and play the games. Uh, but there's the other side of it in terms of uh, retaining 16 plus and, and getting young people involved in volunteer training and, and the volunteer awards that Michael's referred to. So they become basically the administrators within clubs, they're not necessarily the coaches. Uh, Karen uh, um, earlier referred to, for, referred to dance, for example. Uh, and you know, one of the things with our Key Stage 2 programme is that we try and encourage our coaches not only to coach uh, basic skills, ABCs, but also to encourage uh, movement to music and uh, gymnastics and those, those sorts of activities just to, to broaden the scope a wee bit. So, yeah, post-16 is a huge issue. But again, as, as far as I'm aware, PE is not compulsory in the, in the second level schools post-16. And once they get into lower sixth and upper sixth, they, they, don't, they can opt out of it, as far as I'm aware. You know, so I think you know, in the schools, we need to be providing something that's not necessarily just about uh, rugby, Gaelic football or, or football. Uh, it has, there has to be other, other activities available for, for, for young females um, to encourage them to participate in physical activity. I think the word's physical activity, not, not necessarily sport, physical activity. Justin? Yeah, Eugene, you touched on that with the physical literacy piece, which is crucially important across all sports. Um, and I love your, your anecdotal uh, input in relation to the wheelchair and the empathy um, piece, which is, is just wonderfully uh, positive for, for young ki- children to have those experiences and to do that through physical t- education. It's just phenomenal. Um, in terms of this programme that you've sought $2.5 million for uh, from the Minister, which it's, it's in his thoughts, which is wonderful that it's in his thoughts, you know, there's been more paid out in error during this COVID pandemic than, than that, so it's, it's, it's a real shame that we can't find $2.5 million to uh, enhance the physical well-being of, and mental well-being and the emotional well-being of our children and our teachers and our coaches. Um, what, what is the difference between what's been delivered now, Eugene, and the, the, the further programme which you're hoping to, to extend for on three years? Uh, with that 2.5 million you've sought? Well, I think um, Michael can come in here as well on the back of this, but um, originally the programme was focused on Key Stage 1. Uh, and to be honest with you, you know, it wasn't our decision to move away from Key Stage 1. We still think there's a huge gap there uh, and that that work has to continue. That's um, probably the more challenging area, Key Stage 1, because you're, de- you're really delivering those physical literacy skills. and. Um, you know, part of our, our project that, we, that we've uh, submitted is to redress that uh, and to get some delivery at the Key Stage 1 phase, but also to expand the number of coaches um, as well, Justin, because we feel basically you know, what's there is only scraping, as Michael Glover had said earlier, he gave the figures, it's only scraping the surface. So um, th- those are the two things that we want to try and address within uh, the revised proposal. And just, just on the back, like the, when we break that proposal down, you know, we're looking for two programme managers, one for GA, one for football, uh, four regional coordinators, 20 programme mentors um, to oversee the, 
delivery in the schools and the capacity building. A big thing for us in this proposal is the academic research, um, building on the good work that Callum's uh, presented uh, and building that in on an annual basis to make sure that we can track uh, the impact. Uh, developing website resources is a, is a component of it um, and also developing um, resources across the curriculum that use sports so that we're not just you know, helping with physical activity, we're helping with geography, we're helping with maths, we're helping with English, and we're using the, the power of sport as a hook to get young people more engaged in those other subjects is really important to us as well. So it's a, it's a comprehensive proposal that we put together, uh, and we feel that it builds on the experience that we have uh, delivering, but also uh, the insights that Callum's presented through his research. Justin, I need you to bring your questions to a close. Is that okay? Yep. Yeah, we'll do. Um, obviously, there's an epidemic of potential come down the line of obesity, mental health, and diabetes, and that can be addressed through programs such as this. Um, in terms of the cross-cutting impact of the, the work that you guys are doing, you know, it's more than just physical impact. It's mental impact. It's emotional impact. It's educational impact. It's character development. It's leadership development. It's uh, so many benefits. Can there be a study, a cost-benefits analysis study done or undertaken? I might commission a piece of research with the, the semi-research, but across benefits analysis study, how uh, good physical activity at school level then blossoms into so many different areas of children's lives and into the economy, into, into education economy, um, and it's just completely cross-cutting and so positive. Um, that, that note you, you mentioned around the coaches there, Michael and Eugene, Coaches need to be valued in our society. Coaches need to be recognised for the really important, life-changing work they do. And that's, that they're, they're seeing, they're feeling now is they're almost a secondary thought because of the way they've been treated by our Department of Education for too long now. Coaches are very, very important members of our society and need to be valued and held up as the, the, the life-changers that they are. And I, I fully support the work that you guys are doing and hope that our education minister will see sense and back a programme that, that is necessary for young people on so many different fronts. Thanks, Justin. Thank you. Can I bring in Morris uh, Bradley to finish us? Morris, there, yeah. Should be. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Pierre. Uh, thank, thank you, you very Morris. much, gentlemen, uh, Can I assure you that, uh, like the rest of the committee, I, I believe very strongly in sport, uh, and I would encourage children to take part in as many sports as possible until they reach an age <coughs> where they can develop the sport they would like to follow into teenage and adult life. Uh, my own sport. Uh, like the chair is football, and I've been very lucky to play non-stop from 14 to 34. Done through the, the, the coach, the administration, uh, the manager, done a whole gambit. Been involved with the formation of Korean FC Academy, uh, and the formation of the Harry Gregg Foundation. So I see firsthand and have seen firsthand uh, the benefits of sport, particularly team sports. Can have on young people and young people's development and their own life. So I, I'm a firm believer in sport, and I commend each and every one of the three codes here today for the work that they do in schools. But I would ask a, a few questions. Uh, really, most of the rest of the questions have been asked by the members, so I just touched down on the financial side. What con uh, financial contribution is made by the governing bodies to this code towards the, the program? Financial contribution the government body makes to the coach to the program to the program I think to the yeah. program yeah. so like collectively if you if you pull together uh, the additional you know uh, work that the uh, the GAA and the IFA you know put towards schools outside of the Denny program like if you, if you were to say 
uh, it's in the region of um, half a million. That would be like a conservative estimate when you actually put on put on uh, a, a, a figure on the what we invest through other staff and through other programs. And Claire touched on some of them, like the likes of um, the Disney Playmakers for Girls, um, you know, the Shooting Stars programs, the Schools Quality Mark, the Football for All Schools officers, and the GA uh, have their own, and I'm sure you know, rugby uh, make a significant contribution through their programs and other sports do as well. But in our specific partnership, you know, a conservative estimate would be around about half a million outside of Denny. I, th I think the, the, the investment, um, <coughs> excuse me, by the department goes directly to the staff um, and the equipment that we would use to deliver in the, um, in the programmes. So that, that's, that's it. Any other costs then are incurred by the governing body. So um, recruitment costs, <coughs> excuse me, um, the management of the programme, uh, the marketing of the programme, any website stuff. A lot of that is, is something, to be honest with you, we haven't costed. And when we go through this exercise for the, uh, for the proposal to the department, it's something that we feel we need to do. Because uh, if you refer to Appendix 6 um, on the document that we circulated, um, we actually listed down a lot of the, the programmes that we would deliver in, education, in the education context. Um, a lot of those programmes there are outside of this particular programme. So I, I'm not sure how we cost those up, but certainly uh, there's a very significant uh, investment. Just, just a wee reminder, Judy, a uh, uh, remembrance uh, service occurring in the Senate Chamber. We've got to finish up very shortly. So, um, Morris, I'll let you come in um, with a, a next question there. Thanks, Chair, and I will. I will. schools uh, and councils through the use of local facilities that are available through uh, public ownership, and they also work through the uh, council's own sports development officers uh, in developing this programme. So, was it, Morris? Just you were uh, cut off at the start. There it was the question about working in partnership with council sports development officers. Oh, the question was: Do, do, do the, the governing bodies, key uh, representative bodies, work with local councils through the use of local facilities under public ownership, and also the council sports development officer? Yeah, well, in in football, we uh, we have uh, football community hubs based in council facilities. Um, we have two in Belfast and one in each of the other uh, council areas, um, where we work really closely. With the sports development officers and the uh, the community uh, planning teams from the council, so in football we work through the hubs, uh, and in particular to benefit uh, grassroots uh, clubs and volunteers um, through through that avenue. But we've we've had an existing relationship with councils for the guts of uh, 15 years. We're in a similar position that we receive funding through a number of the councils for delivery of grassroots rugby, um, and that would support local clubs who in turn are then working within the schools. So that's, that's part of a number of different programmes, including Everybody Active. Yeah, or Summer, Chris. Okay, yeah. okay Morris. Right, that's good. good to know, gentlemen. Yeah, it's good to know. Chairman, I, I'm breaking up here, so I, I'll call a halt. There's no more questions. <coughs> no, no problem, Morris. Thank you. For your presentation. I find it very worthwhile. Thank, thank you. Thank, thank you, Morris. Uh, we obviously need to conclude pro, uh, promptly here, but uh, just in conclusion, um, thank you again for your presentation and for the work you're doing to address what, in my mind, is, is close to a, a national scandal. Yeah. The Children's Sport Participation and Physical Activity Study found that only 19% of primary pupils received 30, or sorry, 19% of primary pupils received 30 minutes 
um, or less PE per week, and only 40% of post-primary pupils receive recommended two hours per week. I think that's a, uh, an optimistic estimate as well. Yeah. If we if if we were delivering that amount of any other curriculum for any other statutory curriculum subject, yeah. it would be a, it would be a, a headline, a national scandal. Um, so we we've got to get that we've got to we've got to address this and um, a, a previous motion in the assembly asked for the education minister to monitor this more closely and to consult on that recommended hours PE per week. So thank you to all of you for the work that you and your teams are doing to improve that access to physical activity in our schools and you'll have the full backing of this education committee to support that yeah. ongoing work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very okay. much. Thanks very much. Okay, Clark, are we best adjourning um, for now and we'll we'll consider the actions that we take further to that briefing when we return? At eleven forty. At eleven forty members, okay. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, members, welcome back to this meeting of the Education Committee. Um, further to our briefing on the curriculum sports programme from the IFA, GAA and Ulster Rugby, can I ask the clerk to summarise any actions or requests resulting from the briefing? Uh, Chairperson, if I could just ask um, Broadcasting to uh, add the members uh, back into the spotlight again. So I think we have, uh, we have Robbie, uh, we have uh, Justin and Karen, and I think Morris uh, all online. So I think, Chairperson, I'm sensing from members that they... Uh, strongly support the um, suggestion that uh, there should be a new IFA GAA £2.5 million primary school programme and that they want to write to the Minister indicating their support uh, for said programme uh, whenever he comes to consider the budget for next year. And also perhaps write to the Minister um, asking about the, the measures that uh, the Department has in place in terms of monitoring and reporting on the delivery of uh, physical education in schools and whether he's considering a consultation on a, a statutory obligation to provide um, uh, to, to require schools to provide uh, PE uh, for a particular amount of time every uh, week. Yeah. Person. Yes. Can I supplement that, Clark, just by could we also request the most up to date data on um, pupil participation and access to physical education hours uh, per week? Um, the the study that you kindly provided us with suggested that as as little as forty percent of post primary pupils were accessing the recommended two hours per week. So if we could request up-to-date data for primary and post-primary on access to physical education curriculum hours. That would be great. Members agreed with all of those actions otherwise? Yep. Agreed? Yeah, yeah, Justin. Can the committee commission uh, a cost-benefits analysis in terms of the impact of uh, completion of PE and physical activity at primary school and at grammar school or at secondary school um, in terms of how that's you know, the, the impact on the economy, impact on our health services um, through physical activity and the impact on education in terms of heightened engagement uh, academically because of their involved, kids' involvement. So just an overall cost-benefits analysis in terms of the, the importance of PE in school. Uh, so we can, what we can do is, is ask Assembly Research whether such studies have been done and to sort of come back to us with that with that information because that would be quite a 
quite a significant piece of work. So I imagine it may have well been done by uh, other um, you know, uh, researchers and maybe both independent and up to date. So uh, do that, Chairperson. Yeah, yeah, Justin. I, I yeah, I, I don't think the committee would have the resources to do that per se. But as the clerk says, if we could endeavour to access work of that nature that has already been done, or or then ask um, if yeah. it's planned to be done anywhere. Content for that as a first first action. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Justin. Okay. Members agreed with those actions for now, yeah. Agreed. Anything else, Clark? No. Nope. Okay. Uh, let me just check my notes quickly, Clark, there. Um, members, is it worth adding to that a question to the Department with regards to what in particular is being done to in encourage um, uh, girls? Participation in physical education and sport. Could, could I ask uh, a question? Um, I, I, this might encompass that. Um, I think what would be a, an interesting question is to understand the barriers to non-participation yeah. in sport from across everybody. So you'd, you'd given a figure of around forty percent participants. Um, yeah. th those would be probably the same kids the whole way through education. So maybe the, the broader ask is uh, studying to the barriers. Uh, mm. Has there been any work done to, to, to understand? why there isn't a, a greater uptick yeah so up, up to date data on participation and then ask the question in, in relation to barriers robbie why are we not why why the recommended hours of physical education statutory curriculum are not being met yeah absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah. okay okay morris yeah, yeah could we as a committee find out uh what provision there there would be through the, the, the physical education teachers within the schools, and why they are not promoting more activity within the schools instead of bringing people the outside in? You, you understand himself? I do. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's along the line. Yeah. It's and if we've got teachers, why are they not introducing more physical education to uh, and more physical participation to the curriculum in the school? Having to rely on outside bodies can to do it for them. Yeah, I, th I, th I think there's some key questions there, Morris. It does flow from the why are we are the recommended um, I think hours so, for I the statutory curriculum? Uh, clarify that in terms of you know you, you, you wouldn't send Eugene Young in to teach um, music. Yeah, so no, it's, it's a specific area of expertise that that these uh, sporting organisations are providing schools, which the schools don't have in house. Yeah, no, I, th I think there is a there's a there's a policy debate as well there, Justin. So the the, the first question of, of why we're not meeting the recommended statutory curriculum for physical education will will lead on to that. And as as you you'll recall, some of the reasons that were being cited with us previously was or some of the pushback in the case being made for um, the likes of the IFN GAA assisting with meeting this unmet um, statutory requirement was that primary school teachers have been trained and equipped to deliver physical education. But for there, there are clearly reasons as to why that is not then resulting in the recommended statutory curriculum being met. Now, it, it, as it has been raised previously, is that, is that because that training is inadequate? Is that because it's an unreasonable? It's just a flat rate, unreasonable expectation to place on a primary school teacher. Uh, you know, with 
with, with non-expertise in this area, as you say, Justin. I, I think we do need to get to the bottom of that because there, there is a, a, a re we need to better understand the nature of the problem, which is there clearly is a problem in terms of the um, uh, pupils not accessing the recommended statutory curriculum for physical education. So we need to under better understand what it is, and then we can support responses to that. Um, as you say, Justin, that may well be, you know, from a philosophical point of view, it, it is reasonable to um, partner with external bodies to meet that need rather than expect teachers to do it. Or, you know, as, as Morris alluded to, is it not possible for teachers to be more equipped? I know that part of the curriculum sports program is to equip teachers with more confidence, more skills, more knowledge to be able to, when, when the sports programs move on from their school, to, to continue to deliver physical activity. But there, there are some aspects of the curriculum that the Department of Education regularly funds outside assistance with, like Young Enterprise, for example. So I, I think we need to get into the, into the detail of it a bit more. But members content that we're asking the right questions Great. there to allow us yeah. to move on. Karen? Jerry, yep. I Karen, come yep. on there to supplement Morris's and apologies to Harry Lee, so no problem. I, I, must, I must, you know, get better of it, but it's really just on that participation and finding out um, around what activities is on offer, you know, mm -hmm. what over and above. So adding on to what Morris suggested there, um, uh, what is the complement that's offered within schools for young people? What, yeah, what, maybe we could get a copy of the PE curriculum as well then. Um, Members content to request yeah, that. That's, yeah. that, that's in the public domain, so okay, we if ask you get, the department what's yeah, on offer, which is not quite the same thing. So okay. Just on that as well, Chair, I think it's important as we move forward, any investment in the school estate, particularly new build schools, reflect uh, the need for uh, facilities that um, uh, meet the, 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 the curriculum. Because I'm aware, for instance, of... It's not a new build, uh, but four schools in my constituency, primary schools, came together, crammed into a small uh, primary school mm. uh, just outside of Straban, and there's no facilities for children to participate in any form of sport. Yeah. Um, and like that just is madness, mm. in my opinion. I don't know what the criteria was, but clearly that's not a part of it. No, I think uh, resources and, and facilities and yeah. teacher hours are, are going to come into this for, for sure. Um, the department can set a recommendation of two hours yeah. for the statutory curriculum, but if the schools don't have the resources, space or skills mm -hmm. to deliver it, then there's a major barrier there. And it's worsened as a result of COVID, obviously. Yeah, obviously. Members content with those questions? Yep. Yeah, just, just an add-on there, yeah. Right. Morris, yeah, go me? ahead. Yeah, Morris, go ahead. Just an add-on, what it's like in the other constituencies, but in my constituency, I, I'm aware that there are some very, very good and really excellent GAA coaches and soccer coaches who are also teachers at primary school level, and I just don't think we're making use of their skill sets. And the other thing, and another point, is facilities. Yes, schools need facilities, but where there are facilities, i.e., provided by the local council, the schools should have a very, very reduced rate to allow them to take the offer up to use those facilities. Okay. Members content? Mm -hmm. Okay. Clark, I just check. We have to be out of this room by 120 at the absolute latest, so we will need to move um, promptly. We do have correspondence to discharge after our next briefing as well. Okay, members. Agenda item seven is our Department of Education 
Education Authority briefing on the Emotional Health and Wellbeing Framework. Can I ask Assembly Broadcasting to remove all members from the spotlight and add our witnesses? Can I refer members to a cover note from the clerk at page 82, copy of the draft Children and Young People's Emotional Health and Wellbeing in Education Framework at page 101, papers from the National Children's Bureau, Bernardo's and the Elephant in the Room report from page 159, and ETI report on emotional health and wellbeing support in schools and EOTIS centres at page 206. Can I welcome then Ricky Irwin, Director, Inclusion and Wellbeing at the Department of Education, Angela Kane, Head of Pupil Support Team at the Department of Education, and Shauna Collinson, Interim Assistant Director of Pupil Inclusion, Wellbeing and Protection. And by way of welcome, can I say that one of the first things that the Committee for Education focused on when it was formally constituted in January 2020 was emotional health and wellbeing. We were appalled by the growing level of anxiety among children, the need to build resilience and the importance of cross-departmental working. These concerns have only grown during lockdown and restart, and the Committee is therefore glad to welcome back the Department and the Education Authority to brief us on this important issue. Can I advise witnesses that the Committee will give you 10 to 15 minutes to make an opening statement and follow that with questions from members? Over to you, Ricky. Uh, good morning, Chair and members of the Committee. Um, thank you for giving us this opportunity today to update you on the progress we've made in developing an emotional health and well-being framework for children and young people whilst they are in ed education. Um, we last appeared before you in February 2020, providing an overview of the findings from the National Children's Bureau's research report called Informing the Development of an Emotional Health and Wellbeing Framework for Children and Young People in Northern Ireland. Uh, and we reported on progress on the framework itself. So since then, Chair and members of the committee, a lot has happened. As we discussed previously, we know that many educational settings are providing excellent support. However, the issues being faced by our children and young people are becoming increasingly complex. The COVID-19 pandemic has undoubtedly exacerbated this situation with multiple studies reporting that coronavirus and lockdown had a negative impact on young people's mental health and well-being. So this is something that we must also factor in. In building our approach to well-being here in Northern Ireland, a lot of necessary building blocks are now in place. So the Children's Services Cooperation Act of 2015 created a duty on public bodies here to make arrangements for cooperation to improve the well-being of children. The Children and Young People's Strategy for 2019 to 2029 includes a commitment to improve well-being for all children and young people. We have for the first time a mental health champion for Northern Ireland, Professor Siobhan O'Neill, and the creation of this role underlines the significant priority that mental health has become. The landmark Mental Health of Children and Parents in Northern Ireland results of the Youth Wellbeing Prevalence Study has recently been published. This is the first of its kind in Northern Ireland, providing data on more than 3,000 children and young people, as well as more than 2,800 parents and carers. Together, these provide a wonderful opportunity to make a significant difference in the lives of children and young people. We have been working collaboratively with the Department of Health, 
the Department for Communities, the Department of Justice, Public Health Agency, Health and Social Care Board, the Education Authority, along with a range of other stakeholders to develop the wellbeing framework. We have also taken account of the new Children and Young People's Emotional Health and Wellbeing Services Framework, which was developed by the Health and Social Care Board and the Public Health Agency, to ensure we collectively improve access to services and in turn deliver a more positive experience for children and young people. You received a copy of the current draft education framework in advance of today's meeting. <clears throat> this has been developed with an overall aim of reducing the number of children and young people needing more specialist help for emotional health and well-being difficulties. It aims to do this by supporting educational settings to promote emotional health and well-being at a universal level through a holistic, multidisciplinary approach. By providing early and enhanced support for those children and young people who may be at risk or showing signs of needing further help, and by supporting staff to ensure they can effectively support children and young people in their care. This will be done through the three-tier model of support set out within the document, which underpins the framework and reflects the previously mentioned strong focus on promotion, prevention and early intervention. And I will set out those three elements now. The first is well-being for all, and this includes the following, a whole child, whole school, whole community approach to the promotion of well-being. A holistic and integrated approach which recognises that a child or young person entering school feeling happy, healthy, safe and connected to the educational setting is more likely to fulfil, sorry, to fully engage with their learning. For those not feeling that way, it also ensures support is provided. Parents and carers would be integral to the educational setting and the child's well-being. The educational setting is the hub of its community linking with local, voluntary and community sectors. High value and significance placed on staff wellbeing within the setting, and if staff are not effectively supported, they cannot be expected to properly support the children and young people in their care. The next element of the framework is early support. And this is the early identification of problems and provision of effective early support before difficulties escalate and includes provision of training and capacity building for staff in recognising signs of difficulty and how to respond. Interventions can include school-based group work or one-to-one -one evidence-based programmes and will involve integrated working across education, health and community services. The final element is enhanced support and this is when a more specialised service intervention is needed for children and young people presenting with more complex emotional needs, which schools are not in a position to provide. So in developing this three-tier model of support, we have listened carefully to the concerns voiced by many educational settings supporting children and young people presenting with increasingly complex needs. Delay in identifying and addressing potential needs can have a far-reaching effect on their lives. Underlying, or underlining sorry, the priority and significance of this work, the Education Minister has supported its development and implementation with an annual recurrent budget of £5 million, with a further identified pressure from 21-22 onwards. And I'm delighted to say that the Health Minister has also committed to provide £1.5 million annually from 21-22 onwards. 
A draft implementation plan has been developed and is based on priorities identified by DE and its strategic partners in this framework. As you will appreciate, effective integrated working between education and health in particular is central to the successful implementation of the three-tier model. We recognise this in itself represents a significant challenge and has therefore been the initial focus for implementation. You will have seen a high-level overview uh, in the document of the framework, and I wanted to elaborate on a few of the projects just to give you a flavour of what's being proposed. RISE, which stands for the Regional Integrated Support for Education in Northern Ireland, um, is one of the projects, and this would be an expansion of the current RISE teams into key stage two in schools. The RISE teams are comprised of multidisciplinary health professionals, including clinical psychologists, social, emotional and behavioural spe uh, specialists, speech and language therapists, occupational therapists, physiotherapists and therapy assistants. The expanded RISE teams will provide support to all three levels uh, of the support model, universal interventions targeting the wider general school population with a preventative focus will include whole school support, support for teachers, support for parents, as well as support, of course, for children. Targeted support will be provided to children who may have specific needs or are felt to be vulnerable or at risk of developing particular issues. Targeted support will also be provided for teachers and parents through consultation to co-develop an understanding of the child's presentation and appropriate support intervention needed. Specialist support is then provided for children whose needs cannot be met through universal or targeted provision. The CAMS Emotional Wellbeing Teams in school will be a dedicated service to support schools across NI, providing direct support to children and young people, school staff and parents. They will align with the EA, the RISE teams and other professionals to ensure there is integrated working. Similar to the RISE teams, the new CAMS service will provide support in the form of resources and interventions to strengthen capacity within educational settings and directly support staff. Indeed, the referrals for the children and young people will come directly from educational settings themselves. The service will have an initial focus on the early support tier of the model, but will also facilitate access to more specialist support when needed. The next project is called REACH, which stands for Resilience in Education Assisting, Assisting Change to Happen, and it will be delivered by the EA Youth, Youth Service, providing universal support and targeted one-to-one -one group work for pupils aged 6 to 19 years, and will have a focus on preventing and reducing mental health issues. This is building on the Youth Service Successful Flare pro Programme, and will begin as a pilot available to schools through a referral process based on need. Targeted support will be for specific individuals and groups with referrals coming directly from the educational settings, as well as capacity building for education staff to develop resilient schools provided in conjunction with Ulster University. The focus will be on the wellbeing for all and early support elements of the support model. So these are just a few examples. Um, there are other proposals uh, within the framework uh, aligned to a series of themes. I would also like to add that all elements of the finalised implementation plan will be subject to a rigorous evaluation as a pivotal part of the implementation to ensure there is a clear evidence base to support them going forward. In conclusion, 
We have made significant progress since our last update with yourselves, and we're very keen to hear your views on the framework itself, and we're happy to take any questions that you may have. Thank you. Thanks, Ricky. Okay, I'll go straight to bring members in for questions because I, I know we're tight for time and some members have other competing commitments this morning as well. So can I bring in Deputy Chairperson Karen Mullen, MLA? Thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you, um, everybody, for attending and Ricky for, for that update. Um, it, is, it is a good piece of work that has been carried out and added um, to the framework. So I just want to start off with that. Um, really good to hear the different elements there, um, the early support, um, early identification in that. Uh, integrated working is central, you say, and I'm glad to hear you say, say that, Ricky, what I would say is that we, we're not seeing that currently. Um, we've heard evidence in the recent weeks here at this committee um, in respect to special education needs that during, particularly uh, during COVID, which has been a very difficult period from parents and stakeholders, that they felt as though health completely shared their responsibilities um, with education and they felt abandoned. We had schools closed down um, and all our support services closed, but when, when we had restrictions lifted and schools reopened, we haven't seen those or heard from parents um, who have told us that those support services has not come back into play, and that is still the case for many, many families. So I wanted to ask, how can we ensure that health fulfills its obligations with regards to the, this uh, framework? Um, Karen, thank you for the question, and, and through the chair, I think it's a very important issue, uh, and it's fundamental to the delivery, successful delivery of this framework in terms of having that integrated work with health. So, we have integration at a number of levels. We have senior health officials involved with the project board for this framework. We have a number of health-related projects being brought forward as part of this um, framework. I mentioned the expansion of the RISE teams and the CAMS service. We have the commitment from the Health Minister to provide funding um, on a recurrent basis from um, next year uh, onwards. And we also have the work which the Department of Health are leading on in relation to the 10-year mental health strategy. Uh, and within that, there is a work stream in relation to promoting children and their families' positive mental health, and I'm involved in the working group for that. So all of the work that we're doing in education settings fits in and aligns with that broader mental health work that's being taken forward. Uh, and I know that the Department of Health and the Minister for Health have made a number of commitments publicly around all of that work. So I take assurance, and hopefully you can and members of the committee can, around um, all of that level of integration. Thank you, Ricky. I suppose we're, as I say, we are continuously hearing from families that, that they're not seeing it, they're not getting it. Um, and I think that, and I, I know that's wider than the discussion we're having today, um, but uh, I hope that this does frame a better way of working and that families and children and young people will get that support, as you say, ongoing support and, and earlier. So thank you for that. Um, just another question. Um, we're aware of obviously the current levels of workload faced by our principals and teachers, 
um, and the stress that that is having, particularly with COVID, and COVID's not going to go away for, for any time soon. So can I ask um, what practical support would we provide at DR principals to support the development of this framework uh, in our schools? Karen, again, thank you for that question. And that has been raised with us throughout our engagement with stakeholders on development of the framework. Um, in fact, last week we had a two-day workshop with a group of stakeholders, uh, and we heard from Siobhan O'Neill, uh, the mental health champion, and we also heard from Dr. Um, Lindsay Bunting from Queen's University. And the message coming back was that we needed to have very clearly a holistic approach, which didn't just focus on children and young people, but focused on parents and also focused on the workforce. Um, and the term I think that was used was we need to support the supporters so we can't ignore teachers. Uh, and within the framework, it is a key thing. We have identified the need to have a skilled and um, trained workforce, but we've also identified the need to support teachers in their well-being. So we would hope to be bringing forward a series of projects under those things, which would be tailored specifically for teachers and non-teaching staff. Thank you, Ricky. And then just finally, I just wanted to finish off by commending the Education Authority Youth Service uh, on the programmes and support that they're providing, but their ongoing development of new interventions and really relating to what's going on with young people. I have seen um, the excellent programmes that they're running out in my own area. I've seen the work that they've done over COVID and I've read the plans that they have. So they're adapting as, as we go along. So I just wanted to note that. And um, that's me, Chair. Thank you. Thanks, Karen. William Humphrey, MLA. Chairman, thanks, Ricky, for your presentation this morning. Can I ask you just to expand on the joint adoptness of it all? You mentioned the Department of Health coming in with some money, and that's very welcome. But can I just ask you to expand on the on, on, on the joint upness around the whole thing? Uh, sure, um, William. So we were clear from the start that this wasn't just for um, health and education. This actually involved a number of statutory agencies. So. We have brought on board the Department of Justice, the Department um, for Communities, obviously the Education Authority, but also the wider health family in terms of the Health and Social Care Board, the Public Health Agency, and through them, the trusts themselves. So, the, as I said previously, for this to be successful, having that integrated approach is absolutely vital. Um, having that additional financial support from the Department of Health is also uh, a welcome um, announcement. So it will be our job to ensure that that joined upness continues, not just in the development of the framework, but throughout delivery of all the projects. Uh, and I intend to make sure that that happens. Yeah, can I just, I mean, I, unless I haven't picked up, there's no mention of the Department of Committees and local government there. Uh, and I do think that, um, for example, um, in this city, uh, an organisation like Axtern will will be funded from across various government departments. And I think some of that money comes from the Department of Community. So, in terms of expert organisations like Axtern, um, what sort of role are they playing in the, um, in the in the whole development of this 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 um, wellbeing framework going forward? 
So we, we have got the Department for Communities involved on the project board. They are engaged in this process and through them we uh, are engaging with the wider voluntary community sector. Um, indeed there's an event that's being organised through NICFA in the coming weeks to engage on the framework itself. Uh, in terms of organisations like Extern, um, what we would like to see happen at the implementation level is that schools have the flexibility to work with local and regional organisations such as Extern and others once they have self-assessed the, the levels of emotional well-being in their schools and they can then identify from a suite of projects um, what would be the best in terms of addressing any of those issues so that we know from experience and we know from some of the good practice out there that does include working with some local organisations. So we would very much want to expand on that in, in the implementation of this uh, and we will be encouraging that uh, as appropriate. It's just that uh, mental health and general well-being uh, are huge issues. I mean, we, we, it's the other pandemic that's out there, quite frankly, you know, in my constituency in North Belfast and Greater Shankill, huge, huge issue right across the community. And there are many groups doing some great work like SAMI and TAMI that are largely sports-based um, organisations. But I sit on the SHINE panel, which is chaired by my colleague, uh, Oliver Brand Kingston. And in that panel, we have the churches, principals of the, of, of the four secondary schools, uh, grammar schools, uh, a representative of the primary school principals, um, youth organisations, uniformed organisations, um, football clubs, cricket club, uh, and, and politicians, where everyone comes together. And it's about sharing of information and experiences and so on. Um, there's no funding provided to that. Um, and that's something perhaps they, they will look at going forward. But I just think the key to all of this is um, money certainly is, is a key to um, the solution, but it's not the only solution. Uh, better joined upness, more communication, more sharing of information and experience, those sort of things are, are crucial in tackling this issue going forward. Uh, and of course, I, I also forgot to mention, the police sit on, on, on this as well. And they play a, a key and important role, as do local council um, community safety wardens as well. And that's why I think local councils need to be brought into this more as well, because where they can bring resource, uh, whether that is in people or, or buildings, then they need to be involved as well. We can only tackle these issues if there is a great joined upness with no, with no um, um, gaps. Um, but I, I would commend the work uh, that you're doing. Thanks, Chair. Thanks, William. Robbie Butler, MLA. Thank you, Chair. Um, guys, really, really pleased that you're here uh, in, the, in the middle of November because uh, at the start of the year when we commenced and when we, we put this on the, the, on the radar as one of our important pieces, you did make a commitment that this would come forward. So um, credit where credit's due. Um, and in the, in the little time that I've had to look through it, I'm uh, certainly um, enthusiastic about um, how it's been put together. So I would like to commend the team. And certainly the points that have been made so far by the members have all been um, worthy uh, and worthwhile. Um, I just want to ask some questions, probably with regard to what the, um, the makeup of the team is going to be, particularly from DE and EA. So um, in terms of uh, the implementation plan, um, 
talks about the training capacity and building of support. Um, so there's going to be, and I think it is, it's, it's DE and EA have responsibility for it. So there's an, an emotional health and wellbeing advisory team. Um, and their core function will be specifically aimed at assisting schools to develop the whole school approach. Could you tell me what that team is going to look like? Uh, and will they have the sole function um, and not be sort of encumbered by any other uh, aspects of work? But that we do have a commitment that we will have a core team dedicated to, to driving not just this framework, but the delivery um, uh, and outcomes over this next five years, five to ten years. Um, yes, Robbie, thanks for that. I'll just talk briefly about that and then I'll, I'll invite Shauna to talk in a wee bit more um, detail. You'll see in the plan um, a number of themes and under those themes we've proposed a number of different approaches and some of those approaches do include the formation of teams which would work directly with schools. So what I want to make sure is that those teams are very much aligned, that there's a protocol and that suddenly uh, on a Monday morning all these teams don't land uh, at the principal's um, office saying they're all there to help. They need to work um, together. So the way the projects have been designed uh, takes cognizance of that um, and they are multidisciplinary in terms of their approach. Some of them will be for supporting the school staff, some of them will be for supporting children directly, but I'll ask Shauna to talk a wee bit more about the EA projects. Thank you. Um, yes, yeah, so the Education Authority um, intends to recruit a full complement of, of skilled and experienced staff to ensure that all aspects of the programme can be delivered in a timely, efficient and effective manner for schools um, and that, that schools are engaged with along the way. Uh, that team, um, at, at this stage, we, we will be called the, the Being Well, Doing Well team, and, and they will be there to promote the promote, or the emotional health and well-being for all through training and capacity building for schools to develop a whole school approach. Um, this team will work with the leadership across schools, board of governors, to support and develop embedding a culture of emotional health and well-being through the ethos um, in the school for the school development plans through policies and systems across the school because I think it, it is right comments that have been made that this needs to be granular, it can't be an add-on. Um, this team will also assist schools uh, to complete the DE audit tool to gather views from their school community, assess what the needs are in their school and develop their implementation and action plans um, that, that complement their school development plans. The team will also work with schools to support on the curriculum development to ensure that there is a thread of emotional health and well-being through, through the curriculum and um, through particular curriculum areas but also uh, generally through the content across the curriculum because I think from the, the prevalence study one of the, the key points from the young people themselves is that they don't want mental health and well-being to be an add-on. They want all of their, their teachers to be confident in, in their discussions about health and well-being and their support for health and well-being. Uh, the team will also support staff. Uh, as we've mentioned, it is important that, that our staff's emotional health and well-being and that continuum of emotional health and well-being is recognised. So the team will support staff with, with resources, um, approaches and training on their own emotional health and well-being and in the delivery of, of that to young people. The team will also work with, with schools, um, school leaders, school staff and their pupils to review the pupil participation um, and the resource development ensuring that, that pupil voice 
um, and pupil action is hard and seen. Um, our young people, um, we have to have confidence that they know what they need um, and they know what they want to do to support themselves and support each other. So through, through school councils and pupil voice, the team, the team will support. Um, the, the team will also support programmes um, in school that will enable um, amb ambassadors, pupil ambassadors across the school um, in emotional health and wellbeing. The team will also make sure that um, schools are, are supported and, and guided on, on how to engage their wider school community, their parents and carers um, and local businesses and, and voluntary organisations in their culture of emotional health and wellbeing support um, uh, and, and through all, all policies, practices and, and in terminology, making sure that that's there. The team will also then um, coordinate targeted support where, where the need is more in, in intensive for, for young people or for schools through wider services across the education authority, including behaviour support services, education welfare services, um, through our counselling services for, for schools, um, and the wider people support services. They will also make sure that there is that collaboration with health through, through the, the work from, from CAMS and the link in with our Youth Service Reach programme um, that Ricky has already described in, in an advice line that will be operational for schools and for all school staff. And that will be um, our, our Being Well, Doing Well team alongside our Reach team and CAMS colleagues who will be able to support schools for more targeted and intensive um, programme work. Okay, thank you, thank you for that. That's a, a lot of teams. <laughs> and, and, and hopefully, be, I didn't get them all. I should have had a pen to write them all down, but uh, I'll be able to pick them up in Hansard. So um, hopefully, that will be resourced. So um, just two questions then, and let the other members in. Um, so then, the important thing for this would be is the outcomes, guys. Okay, so can you indicate to me what uh, outcomes might look like and what success looks like? And then the other question then is, and I, I, I can't find it at the moment, but I did read it last night, it talks about um, special education needs and it says that this is a, a primary and a post-primary sort of fit and that it, it could be, I think if I'm right, that it says it could be a template or, or used for special education needs. And we do know that through a report by Mencap a, a number of years ago that the prevalence of, of mental health in um, children with special education needs is even more than it is in mainstream. Um, so if you could tell me about those two things, please. Um, yes, indeed, Robbie. Uh, we used a two-day workshop with a series of stakeholders last week to focus on the question around how do we ensure that our children and young people have emotionally fulfilled lives. I think that would be one of the key outcomes that we will measure um, success by. What I want to do uh, is to work with um, the relevant experts in this area to come up with a proper method of evaluation it is one of the themes within the plan you'll see towards the back. Um, measurement and evaluation of all the projects will be um, hugely important. Of course, those key outcomes relate to children and young pe people being safe, feeling safe in school, feeling happy, and feeling that they understand their emotions and know how to manage their emotions. So that, uh, that focus around empowerment um, will be very important, so we need to come up with a way to try uh, and measure that. And we have obviously a raft of um, research reports and evidence that tells us what the current issues are, so we, we know where to try and target these interventions 
um, and what outcomes we need to be uh, achieving. In relation to SEN and special schools, you know, I can give that assurance that this framework is for all schools, including special schools. So the programmes that we are uh, designing here with stakeholders will uh, go into those schools as well and across all mainstream schools where, of course, the majority of children with SEN are. Can I just ask and finish that one out? That, that's really good to know, Ricky. Just, um, have the uh, SEN sector been consulted with regard to the framework um, to just establish the fit? Okay, so we, um, the consultation on this has been um, long and wide-reaching um, and various representative bodies have been involved at different stages. So, of course, the voice uh, of children um, with SEN has been reflected through some of the surveys that have been done on our behalf by the National Children's Bureau. Um, we've got reports from the Children and Young People's Strategic um, Partnership, which includes um, hearing the voices of children with SEN. We've engaged with the Northern Ireland Commissioner for Children and Young People, the National Children's Bureau, uh, the Children's Law Centre, and a few other uh, advocacy organisations. So, um, I would be confident that we have all the evidence that we need. We know what the issues are. Um, we know uh, that those issues um, can impact uh, more on certain cohorts uh, of children. We know what the risk factors are. It's really now down to um, let's get this finalised and let's get these projects delivered for children and young people. Okay, guys, thank you so much. Thank you, Chair. Thanks, Robbie. Daniel McCrossan. Uh, thank you, Chair, and uh, thank you for uh, your presentation. Just a, a couple of remarks. In the framework document, it states, while some have argued that early intervention may have its strongest impact when offered during the first few years of life, the best evidence shows that effective interventions can improve children's life's chances at any point during childhood and adolescence. Now, whilst some of that we, we can absolutely agree with, it does create an element of uncertainty. I think we need to be very, very firm from the outset that the earlier or the sooner the intervention, the better the outcome for the child. And I want to see that prioritised by the Department, uh, and I want to see, if possible, uh, the introductory paragraphs rephrased uh, to provide complete and utter clarity as to what the intention is, because I'm sure that's what the intention is, but it doesn't come across uh, from how it's written, so I, I would like that looked at. Just in terms of the IMAT or self-assessment audit tool, uh, it appears to imply that schools should already be undertaking a whole school approach to emotional health and well-being. Does the Department of Education EA believe that five to ten million pounds will be sufficient to establish a consistent baseline of emotional health and well-being, as well as the other actions identified in the draft implementation plan? That's one point. And secondly, will all schools be inspected from 2021 in respect of their compliance with the A-Matter self-assessment audit tool? And will this affect the overall assessment of schools by the ETA? Daniel, thank you for um, your questions. Um, I note your first comment around early intervention, and we will look at that. Uh, you're absolutely right. It is the intention that early intervention is one of the priorities. We have all the evidence from all the um, reports to say that, uh, and we're, we, are, we are clear enough, but we will make it clearer. Um, is five million um, enough? I don't think that we can answer that right now. We have a commitment for 6.5 million from next year onwards. Um, we have identified the issues, the themes, and some projects which will go some way to 
addressing the level of need. I think what we will have to do is make sure we have the appropriate monitoring and evaluation processes in place to um, understand whether those projects are actually having an impact and whether additional funding and additional projects will be required. And if that is the case, then we will pursue that. In relation to inspection, um, one of the messages that has come back to us from our recent engagement events has been that we need to have health and well-being on an equal footing with attainment and achievement. Uh, and some stakeholders would like to see uh, that being inspected by the ETI. We know, and I've spoken to principals about this, there are good examples out there where well-being is really embedded within the ethos of the school. And of course, as part of this framework, we want to capture that and um, roll that out more widely. It would be very helpful if in some way through the inspection process, we could um, validate that good work and identify uh, where it's working well and, and where it needs to improve. So I think that's a conversation that I need to have with um, the ETI, which I will uh, intend to take forward uh, and something that I would need to come back to you on. Th th thanks very much. Uh, uh, I don't want you to answer th this particular point, but just in relation to the sums or the funding that I've mentioned, I, I would like to think the department has costed this up and has put a value on the necessary investment that is required to see that it is successful. Otherwise, it would be a stick and plaster exercise. Resources wouldn't properly be uh, used to tackle the issue uh, and would prove much more costly in the long run. So I would like to think when we're planning these things, we cost them effectively and we try and get the money. I'm aware you've said there's 6.5 million there and it's welcome, but I'm just wondering, is it enough? Just in relation to the draft framework, the draft framework indicates that the EA, working with voluntary organisations such as CAMS, school nursing uh, and RISE teams, I know John, you've mentioned this, uh, develop a range of enhanced services and an integrated uh, system of service provision. Can the department identify what resources uh, or changes to existing practices and timescales will be needed in order to deliver this very significant change to joined up working between health and education. That's a critical and very important point. And secondly, will the new model require primary schools to share uh, pupil profile information with post-primary schools for transferring pupils? And does current GDPR rules permit this? Because that has complicated a lot of things in schools uh, and generally in life. Uh, I know it's necessary to protect people, but it is complicated. And the final point in relation to this, these are all linked. Are voluntary support and raise teams support available on a consistent basis through the country? And if not, how is the new model in this framework to be delivered consistently? So three interlinked points there, John. One around uh, the joint of working between health and education. Secondly, in relation to the GDPR and the complications it presents. And finally, uh, in relation to the, the consistent approach of the basis through, uh, the, throughout the country in terms of raise uh, team support. Daniel, sorry. Um you broke up a bit on us. Can you just repeat the first question for me? The, the first one was, can the department identify what resources or changes to existing practices and timescales will be needed in order to deliver this very significant change to joined up working between health and education? Okay, thanks, Daniel. Um, okay, I, I'll, I'll start uh, and then I'll invite um, Shauna to talk a bit more about the, the EA aspects of the projects. Um, so, uh, look, as I've said previously, I think the joined up aspect of this is, is critical to um, successful delivery. 
there are a range of mental health services out there which schools already have access to, but we know there are problems with, the, with those access um, levels, and we know there's an inconsistent approach. And we know from the NCB, uh, or sorry, the Children's Commissioner report still waiting, that there, it's unacceptable and there are unacceptable delays. So all of that is considered when we're designing these projects. And one of the critical things in terms of design is to make sure that the referral pathways and then the timeframes associated with re receiving support are, are acceptable and will be done in a way that will meet need. So we are still at the design stage of some of these projects, but I can give you that assurance that they are factors that we will um, build in. in. In terms of the GDPR aspect uh, and pupil profiles, um, what I would like to see happen through the teams which Shauna talked about is that schools are able to carry out an audit and an assessment of the level of need within their school populations. Um, of course, they need to be cognizant of um, GDPR requirements, uh, and some of this information would be in a sensitive category area, so there are additional considerations there in terms of information sharing. However, I do believe, and this does happen at the minute, schools can identify and gain a, a profile of need in terms of emotional need and mental health um, needs within their school that will allow for these projects to go in and um, deliver appropriate and tailored support. So, so that, would, um, that would be the intention. Um, in terms of the RISE teams, um, that is actually a, a health-based um, service which is delivered in education settings. Um, I can't speak uh, in an informed way about the level of inconsistency, so unless, Shauna, you have anything you can John, add to that? Just before you do, John, yeah. it, 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 links, it links to the original point of what has been done to resource uh, uh, the, the um, to resource these changes in order to ensure that there's a more effective working relationship between health and education. So that's an interlinked point, and you've practically answered it by saying, I know you can't speak in relation to them, but there are inconsistencies, and it's important through the development of the relationships okay. of health and education that those issues are fixed, because they are interlinked and they, they, they need to be uh, solved or resolved together. Yeah. Is the point okay. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Um, can I bring in Justin McNulty, MLA? Sorry, Justin, before I bring in as well, I could just um, remind members that we're now on quorum. Um, if all members could stay until the conclusion of the meeting, that would be very helpful. Thanks, Justin. Thanks, Sharon. Thanks, Ricky. Thanks, Angela. Thank you, Shauna. Ricky, you touched on it um, as part of your presentation. What, what's been the impact of COVID on your ability to deliver this framework and on your thinking around the framework and on children? throughout this pandemic? Thanks, Justin. Very important question. Um, I, I did say that COVID has exacerbated um, mental health issues within children and young people. Um, we have got the evidence from a number of sources to support that. Um, we also have evidence from those same sources that tells us how we need to target um, support because of COVID. In terms of how it's impacted on us, uh, it has 
been more difficult to engage with stakeholders in terms of bringing forward the framework, but we have continued as best we can. We have organized events using Zoom and so on, and we have further stakeholder events organized in the coming weeks. So we will continue and we aim to have this framework finalized in the not too distant future. But I think it's more important to talk about the impact on children, families um, and, and young people. So um, we know that issues around you know, financial um, stress, um, increased debt, loss uh, of jobs have added to the anxiety within families and therefore had an impact directly on um, children and young people. Um, we know that anxiety levels have increased because of uncertainty perhaps around um, how education will be delivered uh, in the future. Some of those children may already have been dealing with significant emotional problems. I mean, we have evidence from uh, the recent wellbeing survey that says one in eight children are suffering from an emotional disorder. That was pre-COVID. So we don't know what the numbers are now, but they can only probably be worse. We know that one in 10 children were uh, engaging in self-harm um, behavior. So we know that the figures uh, are not good, and we know that COVID has just made that worse, Justin. So for me, this is about finalizing the framework, working with schools and stakeholders and the wider community, and getting these projects um, off the ground as quickly as possible. Uh, thanks, Bertie. Are you are you are you guys scared? I'm scared. I'm seeing. I'm watching programs about domestic abuse. So I'm experiencing uh, just in close to my own house here, a woman whose who's not whose life is not in danger after a domestic attack, um, stabbing incident at the weekend. Uh, kids, I think, were in the home when it happened. Four young children, and um, the the kids who are who are at risk in their homes who throughout this pandemic have had no release, you know, school is their safe place, and school was their safe place, but haven't had access to this to their safe place throughout this pandemic. Are you not scared for the safety of children, for the well-being of children, for the mental and emotional well-being of our young people? Justin, of course, these are worrying times, and all of us are very um, concerned about the impact on children and families. I mean, again, the well-being study that was done by Queen's and Ulster University, which was only recently published, said that of the children that they surveyed, 37% had been exposed to some form of trauma. And the biggest aspect of that was witnessing violence, followed by being involved in a serious accident, followed by the loss of a loved one. So these are very serious issues. And that is why um, we have a very clear mandate. We have the evidence and we know what we have to do. That's why it makes this all the more important. So we are very aware of that. I hear what, what's, uh, what numbers, what data do you have in terms of the, the, number, the numbers of children who are really struggling throughout this pandemic? I've raised this, this issue numerous times at this committee in terms of those kids who are at risk. What sort of data do you have in relation to those kids? I suppose it's a it's a complicated um, answer, Justin, and I'm I'm aware that officials are coming back to this committee next week specifically on the issue of vulnerable children, and it's probably more uh, appropriate at that stage when I have others with me who will have that information that we try to answer um, that question. Vulnerable children brings in a lot of different categories, and some of those or all of those may be at risk. So I, I don't have the data with me today. Okay, listen, I wish you well, Ricky, Andrew, and Sean. I really, really appreciate the work you do, and I wish you well in your work going forward. Okay, thank you.
Thanks, Justin. Morris Bradley, MLA. Yeah, thank you. thank you very much for your presentation there. It's uh, a lot of uh, good answers to a lot of good questions there. So look, I, I know times are the essence one. Two points to pick out for me would be the, the, the uh, pilot scheme that he uh, had undertaken in, in Lumpstown. Uh, has, has it, have you been able to roll out two nurses in each health trust so far? Uh, and if not, when would you expect that to have been completed? Um, Morris, thanks for that. Yes, that was one of the projects that um, the health authorities um, brought forward because of the success of the pilot. So the answer is we're working on the business case for that as we speak. Uh, so it hasn't been um, ruled out as yet. Is that correct? Yeah, it's going out in September. Okay, so um, we're hoping that um, the business case will be approved uh, and then we will commence rollout of that program. It'll probably be next year now, um, Morris. That's okay. Thanks very much. I have one more uh, question, Chair, with your mission. Go ahead, Morris. Have you had any discussions uh, with the universities yet to, to introduce uh, teacher training to equip future graduates to work seamlessly within what has been proposed in the new framework? I think there's a theme within the framework which does talk about um, teacher education. Ansel, is there anything mm -hmm. you want to add to that? Uh, yes, we have had some discussions, um, principally with Queen's and Stramillis, about that, and we want to expand that. But absolutely, there's a lot of good work in the universities where they are bringing these subjects through to teach our future teachers about them and equip them, so we want to further that engagement with them. Yeah. Sure, thanks, Fred. Thanks, Morris. Um, you want university there? Discussions with them. Sorry, Morris, you, you broke up there. Did you guys hear Morris there? We did, yes. Okay. Okay, Morris. Okay, thanks very much, Chair. Thanks, members and witnesses. Um, Ricky, realise we're, we're short of time. You've been with us for quite some time. So I, I just have a few, um, hopefully, fairly straightforward questions with regards to specific proposals. So I'll try and keep it concise, and if, if you keep the answers concise as well. The, the elephant in the room um, research, important research conducted in 2018 with 14 to 17-year-olds and over 1,000 young people um, brought forward uh, a, series, a number of specific proposals. Can I, can I just go through them? They ask if they'll be incorporated by the Emotional Health and Wellbeing Framework because they come from young people themselves. And it strikes me as being important as we, that we consider what young people are asking for and, and, and including in the framework. So the first thing was a youth-led mental health campaign to challenge the stigma attached to mental health and to promote safe, open communication on mental health. Will there be a youth-led mental health campaign as part of this? We haven't got anything designed at this minute in time, Chair, but I'm aware of all the recommendations in the Elephant in the, in the Room report. I think that's something that we will definitely need to look at, uh, and we can work with um, the Northern Ireland Youth Forum on that, uh, and it would probably be through the EA's Youth Service that something like that would be brought forward, so um, we certainly will look at that, Chair, yeah. Okay. Another recommendation was for a youth mental health website to centralise key information and uh, support a particular suggestion of a 
an online chat support platform given that's where frequently um, young people are engaged. Has that been considered? So yes, we have commissioned SIA to develop a wellbeing hub and that work is ongoing. Um, so we'd be very happy to come back and talk to the committee about okay. uh, elements of that hub once it gets off the ground. Okay, I don't think uh, that sounds positive, Ricky. I don't think it's the same thing. The, a youth mental health website designed by young people um, to centralize information, which might include signposting too. I see a hub, for example, um, but with okay. that creative online chat function as well, I think a lot of this work has thrown up um, stigma and challenges for children and young people to know who to approach. And the young people felt like that online chat function is something that would be positive. So I'll, I'll leave that with you. A third recommendation was a, a mental health dictionary. And even in the in your own framework here, I see a lot of reference to the importance of terminology. Have you considered the the recommendation for the production of a, a mental health dictionary for children and young people? I think I think again, and I suppose like the, the second recommendation, this is something that we will want the EA Youth Service to pick up as part of the development of the projects that they will be um, bringing forward. Uh, the youth service have a further consultation planned with young people. I expect those messages to come back again. So yes, uh, we would be happy to look at the development of uh, some kind of dictionary, which is very clear on these terms. I would stress though that even in our engagement with the experts, there isn't always uniformity in the, in the terminology. So uh, it may be difficult to get um, absolute agreement across all the various terms, but we, we will certainly have a look at that. Okay, and another recommendation then was for all of that type of information um, to be um, used as part of mental health uh, education as, as a formal, explicitly referenced part of the statutory curriculum. So will, will, as part of this framework, mental health be on a par with physical health in the statutory curriculum? Chair, I think when it comes to the curriculum, the, um, the rules around the minimum level of, of curriculum are, are set. And we know already that the statutory curriculum covers mental health awareness and the management of feelings and emotions through the personal development and mutual understanding at primary level and the living for um, life and work at post-primary level. Um, so that minimum level is there and schools have the flexibility um, to deliver that. If, if something more is needed, that's a conversation that, that will need to happen. Um, uh, and if that becomes an even clearer message, then of course, you know, I will be picking that up with colleagues in the department. Okay, I think the final recommendation was training for teaching staff and youth workers, which you've you've referenced already. I mean, th yeah. those. Do you agree that those are quite substantive, um, constructive recommendations? And and what the understand is the elephant in the room committee um, met with the executive subgroup on mental health. Um, further to my request that the health minister. Um, engage with them. What what 
what ongoing engagement are you having with the elephant in the room committee um, in relation to the implementation of emotional health and well-being? So we have had engagement with the forum on this. Angela, can you expand a bit? Um, In terms of trying to develop the framework and what direction we might take, we did meet um, with the Belfast Youth Forum. Um, and it's something that we would like to consider going forward on a more regular basis. Yeah. We just haven't um, formalised that as yet. Okay. Because I have to say, out of those five solid recommendations, it doesn't sound like any of them are in the framework at this moment in time. I think the difficulty is, as um, Ricky had said earlier, the focus initially in this implementation plan was to get the structural changes we needed so that we could get the collaboration and the integrated working. And we do have the future pressures from next year onwards um, to look at some of these things as well. So this is not um, a finalised and finished article as yet. We will expand on that implementation plan. And Chair, just to add to that, one of the clear messages we've got from our recent engagement is that peer support uh, and, and the support that children and young people can offer to other children and young people is critical uh, in the delivery of the framework. So um, the framework is very much about the themes, the detail around the projects is still under development. So you know all of those recommendations do chime um, with what we are being told. So um, okay. you know we are very happy to look at those in more detail. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the framework. This final point for me um, within my time. Uh, the the framework itself references and I quote the importance of promoting emotional health and well-being at the earliest stage. And I can you advise then what the current proposals are for counselling in primary schools? So we know um, from our experience of the independent counselling service for schools, for post-primary schools, um, that um, there is some evidence to suggest that counselling can have some impact, but we also know that in terms of primary school counselling, the research and the evidence around that is actually quite light. we are keen to carry out a pilot of primary school counselling, and that will be one of the projects that has been that is brought forward. And we will use the evidence from that to determine whether uh, it needs to be ruled out more widely. Okay, and when and where will that pilot for counselling in primary schools happen? We're working on the detail uh, of the business case um, now, so I can't. I can't elaborate any further on that, unfortunately, but you know, we would be happy to come back at a later stage and talk to the committee about that once we get it up and running. Okay, because the, the framework said that it was to happen in October 2020? Uh, no, I understand that. and I stress the draft status of the framework, and I suppose it's back to the question about the impact of, of COVID. Uh, unfortunately, some of those intended dates of delivery of the projects have slipped. Um, but I can assure you that we are working on the business cases for those projects as, as quickly as possible. So it would be our, our intention to uh, bring that forward as quickly as we can. Okay, final, final question. I'm over my time, apologies. Um, uh, one of the key issues that was often raised with me by children and young people was the need for smooth referral or escalation of mental ill health concerns from school to CAMS. Um, has, has the framework proposing anything that will enhance the ability of 
um, emotional and mental well-being issues being identified at school, having smooth referral access to CAMS? Um, I would share the, the concern, that is a message that we have got back um, as well. So yes, one of the projects which is uh, uh, essentially a CAMS team that would uh, be through the Health and Social Care Board that would work with schools. The idea is that that would allow for smoother referral and access to those specialist services if they are required. So yes, that, that is the intention. Okay, that's positive. Okay, Ricky, uh, that's all questions from ourselves today. Um, thank you for the update. As I said in my opening remarks, um, this is obviously a priority issue for the committee. Um, as it is for you, um, we'd be uh, glad to keep an ongoing contact with you as the as the framework progresses. Okay. They okay. All Thank right. you very much. Thanks, Ricky. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Ricky, Angela, and Shona uh, for your presentation today. Um, can I ask Assembly Broadcasting to remove the witnesses and add all members back into the spotlight until the end of the meeting and ask our clerk to summarise actions um, or requests from the briefing? So, Chairperson, if I've uh, understood members correctly, I think they want to write to the departments. I think generally welcome the progress that's been made on the framework, encourage um, you know, further, or encourage the importance of further joined upness between education, health, and others, including communities and local councils. Stress the vital importance of early intervention. This should be prominent in the framework. Um, suggest also that uh, the department um, make the most of interactions with expert organisations in the community and voluntary sector, and indeed with local councils, in terms of ensuring consistent delivery. Um, and then uh, perhaps ask the department if, um, or rather, no, rephrase that. Um, perhaps I think that the, the committee is asking the department to take forward some of the elephant in the room recommendations, including the development of the Mental Health Dictionary, uh, the inclusion of an explicit reference to mental health in the curriculum, um, and also um, a mental health uh, uh, hub, uh, which would include an online chat function. Uh, in addition to that, I think the committee might want to ask for details of the SIA hub, and also about the uh, piloting of the counselling service in uh, primary schools. So hopefully that's captured all members. Clark, could I just add youth-led mental health campaign to that elephant in the room set of recommendations and, and, and that's um, the inclusion. Members wish to add anything to, to that? Yeah, Daniel? Chair, I know I touched on this in, in some of the remarks I've made, but I do think it needs to be absolutely crystal clear uh, that the uh, department reaffirm their commitment and their intention um, by clarifying, or, or sorry, uh, uh, rephrasing the introductory comments in their open remarks, they're, they're just too ambiguous for me. It needs to be clear that early intervention is the, the sooner the better, uh, that they intervene the better. But, but at the minute, the way it's phrased, it just allows it, uh, opinions to be formed as to when intervention is best. I think everybody has agreed that it's early intervention is best, but it's just it's, it's a petty wee point, but <laughs> it's very important that okay. we fix it. Okay. Members, any other comments? Oh, yeah, just another final point. Go ahead. The money element of it. Um, I know uh, that Rick Irwin has said that um, he doesn't know if it's enough, um, or not to misquote him in any way, but 6.5 million. I, I didn't even think 10 million was enough, uh, given the scale of work that is required. I'm just wondering, did they actually cost this? Uh, 
uh, up and um, what figure was placed on it and how far short are we? Because uh, I, I don't believe that there is sufficient money there. Otherwise, that's just going to be a stick and plaster approach. Okay. Costing and budgets. And deficit, yeah. Okay. Any other comments, members? No. Okay. Members agreed with that correspondence to the department? Agreed? Yes, members, or no, if you disagree. Can I, can I get an, I sound like a preacher, can I get an agreed? Yes. <laughs> agreed, thank well you. Uh, yeah. Can I get an amen? Okay. <laughs> Agenda item 8, members, correspondence. Can I ask the clerk to speak to the correspondence items? Uh, thanks, Chairperson. Uh, we have 12 items of correspondence. Summary note is at page 279. I'm just asking if members are content to dispose of the correspondence as per the summary note with just the following exceptions. So, um, at page uh, 282, this is a response from the Minister to committee concerns in respect of the lack of clarity in answers provided to the committee in June by SIA regarding grade awarding models and options. Uh, Chair, can I ask if the committee are content to note or if they have any other comment? Yep. Agreed. Okay, and then at uh, page 285, response from the Department regarding concerns raised by parents of children with dyslexia. Um, D indicate that they're seeking advice from the Education Authority on how support services are provided in this regard, and they're going to return to the committee with a full response following this. Um, so, are members just content to note this for now and to return to the matter when a fuller response is received? Yeah, uh, yes, Clark, and uh, uh, it's my understanding that some of the proposed changes to examinations in 2021 um, have been met with considerable concern with uh, pupils with dyslexia as well. So, yeah, we'll, we'll await the response to that. Okay. okay. Agree. Okay. So, at page 287 uh, is a response from DE about training teachers for the deaf. This came about um, following a briefing from the National Deaf Children's Society before the summer, and it was in response to the concerns regarding the anticipated retirement of teachers. DE has indicated it's willing to work with stakeholders to explore options, but it doesn't usually fund initial teacher education. So, Committee consent to forward that to the National Deaf Children Society who initiated. Yeah, Clark, it doesn't it doesn't fund initial teacher education, but one would have hoped that it would have some degree of interest in initial teacher education, and it does indeed, of course, set the numbers for initial teacher education. Therefore, it should be concerned about whether or not initial teacher education is meeting the needs of deaf children. Um, so. Um, hopefully the more positive aspect of that correspondence, which um, gives a commitment to engage with stakeholders on this matter, can be carried out. And um, If we can ask uh, the stakeholder organisations to keep us posted as to the extent of the engagement they receive from the department, that would be great. Okay, very good. Members agreed? Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Thank you. And then just moving on to um, item 8.7, which is a page 292. This is from the QUB Centre for Children's Rights, providing a copy of a research report from the recent project exploring life in lockdown for autistic young people in Northern Ireland. Yeah. Now, we've had a few like this, so yeah. I'm suggesting, Chairperson, that maybe the, the committee invites this group to our uh, informal Zoom event, which is going to deal with this on the 3rd of December. Agreed. 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 Yep. Additionally, then, we have Action for Children on a very similar subject, the impact of lockdown on vulnerable children, so same suggested action that we invite them to our informal event where they'll be able to say a bit more about their um, their findings. Agreed. And then, 
Sorry, thank you. Well done, members. Thanks, members. At page 322, correspondence from the Minister, a number of detailed changes to GCSE curricula and assessment for 2021. They're in respect of particular GCSEs, food and nutrition, government and politics, health and social care, religious studies and statistics. Um, just to note, members, some of the GCSE end-of-year exams will be supplemented with controlled assessment tasks set by SIA and which will be internally marked by teachers according to a mark frame provided by SIA, which will then be externally moderated. Again, SIA will look after that. And SIA is also to provide specimen assessment tasks and training for teachers to assist in the marking and internal moderation processes. So the reason I mention that is if you see what's happened in Wales, slightly different. Um, there, um, it's not going to be marked by teachers, it'll be marked externally. But in terms of let's say, options for how you might deal with end-of-year examinations if the public health situation deteriorates. Um, that might be where they may be going. Uh, mm. So again, just remember some uh, information. Um, as the Chair has just indicated, a number of pupils... Sorry. Someone to come in there? Yeah, Justin, go ahead. Just on, in terms of um, the curriculum on GCSE subjects, I'm, I'm not sure if it applies for A-level as well. The curriculum is moving, the goalposts are moving. So teachers are, are teaching elements of their um, subjects only to be told, oh, we're not going to be actually examining that um, in the coming uh, summer. So I think we need some clarity around those issues, and I think that the Minister needs to come to committee ASAP to create, to, to take, give us the clarity and give teachers the clarity that so they're no longer teaching part elements and subjects whereby that's not actually going to be examined. And that's going on at the moment, so teachers are really concerned about that. I think yeah. Chairperson the Clark. Sorry, beg your pardon, Chairperson. The yeah, committee's no already agreed um, under Chair's biz to write to the Department and SIA again seeking clarity on contingency arrangements for GCSEs, AS and A level. Um, so I, I think we're already um, the, the committee has been on this and uh, it's more than a contingency issue yeah, it's, it's going on at present, that's what the example will be now. So it's, 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 more, it's about more than contingency, it's about curriculum. So, okay, sorry, Chair, what, what's the action that the members would like us to, to do? The Minister needs to come and tell us what, what is happening. Okay. Schools. Minister is scheduled for... Well, we, we've asked for the 9th of December. Okay. Um, so I could indicate to the department that um, obviously members would like clarity on the, the delivery of the curriculum um, for the, the remainder of this academic year. Okay. Um, yeah. And... Have we had a response from the Minister with regards to attendance on that date? Okay, maybe we'll, we'll consider that in the forward work programme. Uh, Justin, I, I wholly agree with what you're, you're saying. Um, are you content that we write in the first instance and that in the forward work programme here we consider um, how soon we could invite the Minister to come to speak to those matters as well? Well, I'm just concerned. There's a lot of teachers with their heads in their hands wondering what the hell they're doing, you know. So I think it's, this is yep. a very, very urgent issue to be, to be addressed. Yep, I agree. Okay. Okay, thanks, Chair. So the other um, item is at page 327. This is an invitation from Deloitte MCS Limited, inviting the Chair and Deputy Chair to participate in the Deloitte Independent Review of the Awarding Arrangements used by SIA in 2020. The invitation includes the terms of reference for the review. And these include the development and communication of the um, grade awarding models. And the review is also to reflect on a possible model of moderation of teacher assessments across centres as a contingency should examinations not be possible. Um, so that's all of the things that are in that. 
Um, members may wish to note that Deloitte undertook reviews of NICE, uh, the Northern Ireland Council for Integrated Education, and Synergy in the previous mandate. Uh, committee members were invited to participate, but at that time, so predecessor committee members were invited to participate, but at that time declined, as they were concerned that if they contributed to the findings, there would be there could be a conflict of interest when they came to scrutinise. So, Chairperson, its uh, question is: What does the committee want to do? Are they content to? Um, permit the uh, chair and deputy chair to um, participate in that review, um, and is it the view of the chair and the deputy chair that they, they want to do that, Chairperson? Yeah, th thanks, Clark. I um, haven't had time to consider this in, in sure. detail, but um, my initial reaction would be for us to provide um, the independent review with the responses that the committee had issued to SIA. Um, both in relation to last year's arrangements and this year's arrangements. Um, are, are, would members be content with that approach? Obviously, political parties are, are at liberty to contribute to the independent review, should they wish as well. But it will be for the committee to consider the recommendations that come from the independent review and, and to take a view on those at a later date. Would members be content with that approach? Yeah, Chair, Darren, yep. if, I, if I could come on, I suppose just I know um, the clerk has pointed to a previous review, and I could see maybe why people didn't at that stage. I think there is a difference between being interviewed for a report or uh, and being tied under the findings, particularly on this occasion. Our concerns as a committee wasn't listened to um, uh, throughout this process in relation to the examinations there earlier in the summer um, and nothing moved until the English minister moved and just as Justin has highlighted there I feel we're in the same position again um, so I, I think we should um, uh, submit in, you know uh, all concerns and what we were involved in before uh, so I would agree with that approach. Yeah, I, I agree, Karen. I think if we make sure that the concerns that the committee expressed in, in, in quite clearly in writing um, as part of the last process and those concerns that have been expressed in relation to the current uh, approach to curriculum examinations for this year, um, which are available already, are, are clearly submitted to the review. Um, and then we, we can consider the recommendations that come forward thereafter. Members content with that approach? Yep. Agreed. Okay. Thank you. Very good. Okay, Clark, is that correspondence? That's all correspondence. We've already done forward work programmes. So oh, have we? Okay. Um, can can we just revisit that very briefly, Clark? Just in terms of when the minister is scheduled to attend, or when we've asked them to attend, what page is forward work programme so on? That there? would be if you look at page nineteen to twenty. So at page, page nineteen. Yep. yep. Okay. So at page twenty, we've asked um, on the 9th of December for the the minister to come. Um, you know, hopefully, he could if he did agree to come, he might be able to talk about budget at that point, as well as obviously the uh, restart and um, uh, examination and curriculum uh, delivery issues, which uh, members have talked about. If indeed that works for him. Okay. I mean, is it worth us asking what, what the earliest date is that the minister could I'll, attend the committee? I'll speak to the yeah and see what we can what we can do with that. Okay. Justin, content with that request? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay, members. Um, 
Agenda item nine, any other business? Nope. Okay then, agenda item 10, the date and time of our next meeting is Wednesday the 18th of November in room 30. Uh, Parliament Building's on via Starleaf at 9.30am, is that right, Clark? I think so, yes. Okay. Right. Okay, um, the committee meeting does now adjourn. Thank you. Thanks, members. Well done. Thank you. Well done, Chris. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber programme signed. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber.